It's car con carne. Carcon Carney, still in quarantine. This is now the 80-something show being done from home. Quarantine Con Carney. I'm James Van Osdell. Carcon Carney is sponsored by CNH Financial Services. As business owners open back up to serve their communities, they're faced with a lot of challenges as they navigate through this new normal brought on by COVID-19. CNH Financial Services is here to help. They offer a variety of products that range from traditional merchant accounts to a zero-cost payment processing solution, which eliminates the expense associated with accepting Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express as a form of customer payment. CNH Financial Services ETAB solution is easy to set up for your business for online ordering and curbside pickup. CNH also offers cost-effective commercial lending programs to help get your business the money it needs to make it through these unprecedented times. To learn more, contact CNH Financial Services 855-600-2437 or go to chfs.us. Joining me tonight, it is Mr. Agitator from V is for Villains, uh, who dressed down for the occasion. Always dressed down. I knew I I should have gone steampunk for tonight. I completely completely blew it. You blew it! I did. You're you're in your V for Villains laboratory right now, aren't you? I am. I am. Also known as my mom's basement. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in mommy's basement. It's fine. It's normal. No. Um. Yes, we are in the studio where we do the writing, the recording, the mixing, the mastering, all the stuff. I just realized. I think the last time I interviewed you, Mr. Agitator, was like seven years ago. It was a while ago. It's been a little while. That's true. Yeah. And I'm still around doing this. So my therapists all failed me. I want to talk about your music, obviously, but I think your story is interesting. I think your story, I I was telling you about this before we went live. I think people need to hear positive stories right now. Everything feels bleak. I I have days where I go through a range of emotions every 10 minutes. I think your story is fascinating. Thank you. I I guess start from the beginning. You had a rough go as a teen Mm -hmm. and that led you to music. I'll let you just explain the story. Well, I, you know, man, it's one of those you draw straws and if you're really lucky, the worst thing happens kind of situation. When I was a teenager, I actually broke my back. So I ruptured two vertebrae in my lower spine and uh, it kept me from walking. It started off with pain in my foot and then it became pain in my leg. And I thought, you know, man, this is feeling really weird. And I, I used to run track at school. I, I was so into that stuff. So, you know, I, I could tell moving my legs, this, this feels weird, you know? Um, I went and I sat down with my mother. I said like, yeah, you know, I don't know what's going on with my, my leg. We went and we saw the, uh, uh, the doctor. He was like, no, I think he just pulled a muscle. It seems like that's all it is. Now, mind you, this was 2000, I was 15. You know, uh, I said, okay, cool. Then it got worse and it felt really awkward, felt weird. We went back again and he said, I think you tore a muscle. Okay, cool, cool. We left within a couple of days, I was dragging my leg, like Mm. it was in so much pain. Um, And you know, I'd never felt anything like that. We went back to the doctor and he said, do you know a good neurosurgeon? And everything kind of shifted at that point, you know, very strange situation. Um, Well, it was one of those things you you hear that and just time just kind of flows differently and 
the, the, the color in the room changes. It just, it, it becomes this out of body. Like you're looking at yourself experiencing all this. I'm going to be honest. No, but I did have that experience, but that was five years later. Okay. We'll get and that's there. A different experience. I promise. I'm going to tell you that, but, <laughs> but no, I was there and he said like, look, you know, you, you got to address this quick. You know, I was a kid. I was scared. You know, uh, one day I, I got out of the shower in this process and I noticed that the top half of my chest and the bottom part of my torso were uh, like misaligned, like curved. Oh man. And I was like looking at myself in the shower and I was like, what, what the hell is this? So I, I wrapped on a towel. I walked outside and I was just like, mom, do I look weird? And she was like, oh God. She's like, get in the car. We're going to the hospital. Uh-huh. So I went to the hospital and they were like, yeah, you know, you've got some really bad swelling and inflammation. We left. And within about a month, I was pretty much paralyzed. I could stand like this and I could walk like this. And my brother had to help me to the bathroom and help me back. And the bathroom was four feet away, Jeez. you know? So it was pretty rough. I was in that state for about a good 10 or 11 months. And at the time, medical science wasn't quite what it is now. So their answer was take all the drugs and just hang out, <laughs> you know? And as a 15 year old being on drugs like that's just the worst. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was a pretty bad situation. I started taking cortisone injections that allowed me to kind of stand again but only in bursts. Uh, I would be walking and all of a sudden my legs would go numb and I would just have to lay down on the sidewalk. You know, I'd be there in Chicago, just 15 leg on the sidewalk of people just stepping over me. <laughs> like, oh my you know, God. Hey, we got stuff to do kid. What are you doing? You know? Well, and that's just it. You're a kid, right? Like things shouldn't be that hard for someone that young. Yeah. It, as your circle of friends is doing whatever teenage teenagers do. Right you are completely incapacitated that, that emotionally i'm sure that took a tremendous toll it changed everything you know i started to walk around i started to realize you know this is it life's short and my life could be over like if this happened you know and i don't know if i'm ever going to stand again i don't know if i'm ever going to walk then it's right psychologically you're in your formative years and the yeah. things that are going on in your head are like will i ever find love Will I ever, you know, have a family? Can I have a family like this? You know, can I have a job or do normal things? Because I can't even sit here for five minutes without being in excruciating pain. Right. You know, and pain is such a strange thing. It's, it's crippling and it's also motivating. You know, I'm sitting there in that situation and I started to do something that I'd never considered doing before. I started writing music. Very strange. I was never musical. I loved listening to music and I yeah. loved the dichotomy of sound, but I didn't, I didn't know anything about how to write a song, what to do. You know, uh, my father had bought a PC recently and it was like, wow, a computer in the house, man. <laughs> you know, and uh, he got uh, a copy of Acid Music too back in the day. And, uh, you know, he started showing it to me. Look, you can just like put loops and you can do different things and it's like drums. And I was like, I was just blew my mind how good it sounded the way that we have this kind of renaissance right now for uh, home filmmakers, mm -hmm. it was that way 20 years ago for musicians. Sure. All of a sudden the digital age had dawned and we were able to make quality sounding music in our, in our living room, you know? So that intrigued me and it became a puzzle. It became something to keep my mind and my heart occupied while I went through something that was actually terrifying. 
Sure. You, know? you were going through a physical and emotional trauma. Right. This was, this was a great release for you. It was an amazing release. And I just started writing to write, you know, I, I kind of figured out like, you know, it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be something that's, Hey, I'm going to make money off of it or B I'm going to show like friends or anything. I just got a lot to say and nobody here to listen at this point. And I just need to vent it, you know? And, uh, it was strange. Like, you know, some of the songs that I wrote in that period, the second or third song ever, those were songs that got picked up and licensed and still to this day are playing around, you know, which is very bizarre. Uh, <laughs> I was just like shotgun blasting in the dark, hoping that I would hit something that made sense to me, but it was always fun. And it always took me about seven or eight hours to write a full song. Like I would just sit there until it was done, like a night, boom. And I would track it and record it. And that was how I wrote because I didn't know how to write music. You know, I didn't know anything about theory. So I would just write as I recorded. If it sounded good, then it was right. Sure. And that was my law for it. And that was it, you know. It was almost better you didn't have the other information in your head. Right, Did exactly, exactly. Because I, I, didn't, I didn't even know what the box was to be yeah. stuck in. Like I had no concept of any of that. What's good, what's bad. I was just a 15 year old kid that, you know, liked a lot of the bands of the time, like Nine Inch Nails and Gary Newman and, you know, like <laughs> the bands of the time. We're talking 15 <laughs> years ago. The Pleasure Principle, I think, came out in 1979. So <laughs> I love that album. I, play, I, I love that you, you picked up on it too. You're like, you were an old man, 15 year old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't was, get me wrong. Kind of, yeah. I can listen to metal off that album any day of the week oh, and be man. happy. I love metal. We covered metal for, on tour for years. We would it's a great it. song. I love that track, man. I really do. But I'm with you. I actually bought my first physical copy of The Pleasure Principle in 2006 while I was in New York, man. It was a crazy time. We were on tour and it was just like, there, I'm, I'm getting this. You know, we don't have enough money for food, but I'm getting this, you know. So, I, so we're jumping ahead. So yes. at the age of 15 in 2000, you said? Yeah. This happened? Mm -hmm. So within six years, you're touring with the band. So, so fill in yeah. that gap. Okay, so... You know, my brother is a guitar player and he, like my father, my father was very musical. He was a professional. He was a pro. He would tour. He would do casino shows. He'd do all these different kinds of shows, impersonation acts. He would be Billy Joel, Frank Sinatra, Elton John, Blues Brothers. So, you know, I kind of grew up watching him do all of that stuff. And he was amazing. He's got an amazing voice. My brother just picked up guitar and he's just one of the most naturally good players I've ever seen. He just can do it. You know, we call him One Take John. Because he comes in, he just sits down and da -da -da -da, done. And I'm just like, man, I'm so jealous. But, you know, uh, he was there around me while all of this stuff was going on. And he actually, my brother showed me, well, you know, this is a high note. This is a low note, right? He was kind of putting certain things in my head like, yeah, no, write a song, finish a song, do this, you know? So he and I got together and we said, let's start a band. Let's just do it. Let's just do it to do it. We'll probably never play, but let's just do it. And we we're like, well, what are we going to call the band? What are we going to do? And I said, well, I don't know. It's got to survive the, you know, it's got to survive the two-week test. It's got to look okay on a shirt kind of thing. You know, thinking like kids, like total kids. Yeah. And I'm sitting there playing a video game, you know, and I named the character Mindy because, I don't know, I always like the name Melinda. <laughs> and I was listening to Blue Monday, the cover by Orgy, mm -hmm. you know, to date the time. But I'm sitting there and, you know, I, for some reason in my head, Digital Monday stuck out in my mind. I That'd see where this cool is going. Name. Yeah. Be a cool name. But the character's name flashed across the screen. And when I went to say it to him, it came out Digital Mindy. And he was like, what the hell is a Digital Mindy? I was like, I don't know. Just write it down. So he wrote it down and it kind of survived the two week mark. And we were like, okay, we're Digital Mindy. 
done. <laughs> so I, I missed the part. You were incapacitated. Mm -hmm. You started making music. How did you get better enough to start doing band stuff? Well, to, uh, <laughs> to paraphrase the Hulk from Avengers, I never got better. I just stopped kind of caring. I was always angry. I just kept working. <laughs> Love know? the reference. Yeah. And it's the truth. Like, I didn't wait to get better. I said, I'm going to make myself better mentally and emotionally. And then from there, let's see what we can do. Because I'm already in pain. I'm already in agonizing pain. Right. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? I'm going to be in more pain. You know? And after a while, pain becomes static. It's just static. You know, when you're in pain like that, that's crippling and debilitating, you don't want to do anything. And I took my eight months to a year feeling kind of sorry for myself just mm -hmm. sitting there. And then I, you know, started to say, you know, nobody's going to pick me up, you know, like nobody can help me with this. So I didn't get better. I just kept writing. I just kept writing. And I said, like, you know what, let's, <laughs> let's just keep going, man. Let's just see what we can do. And that, that's uh, incredible. I mean, you, you are a tough son of a bitch. I mean, just to, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> you wouldn't think about looking at me. Well, I, 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 you know, I think just generally speaking, back pain is about the most excruciating pain imaginable yes, it at is. that level though. I, I can't even imagine. It's I, horrible. It, yeah. It's horrible. Um, and to be honest, you know, all jokes aside, it's people live with it every day and we're kind of stuck in a medical system that is not properly equipped to treat causes we just kind of mask symptoms and hope it works itself out you know and uh i was kind of a casualty of that and i kind of realized yeah no doctor's coming to save me no you know nobody's coming to take it away i realized when i kept my mind active because pain is partially in the mind partially mm -hmm. when i kept my mind active and i kept writing i didn't feel it as much i just didn't feel the pain as much it was a better night you know, and you do, you start to sleep two hours a night because you just can't, your mind shuts off. You start to feel pain. You wake up, you know, you wake up and you sit up. And I started realizing I slept better when I would write a song or I would do something that kept my mind exhausted. Right. Um, school was definitely not that thing. I just, I just stopped going. I was just yeah. like, well, I'm just done with this. You know, I'm done with this. I want to do audio. I want to be an audio engineer. That's really what my focus is. And, you know, I was a terrible student anyway, on account of not showing up most of the time. But, uh, you know, my mind was always somewhere else on a more complex problem. And I had found a problem I could never fully solve, which was how to be the best songwriter, best engineer you can be, because you're always learning, you're always moving forward. So, you know, to turn that short answer into an incredibly long one, I wasn't better, really. I was getting cortisone shots that helped me stand. So that's like a good 12-inch needle that goes up your tailbone and they inject you and you know you're good for a month or so mm -hmm. less pain not no pain you're still eating a leave like candy yeah but you know but it's it's manageable it's kind of like uh you know if somebody snaps your thumb when it heals you appreciate the feeling it may never be perfect yeah you're like yeah this is pain but it's a lot less pain than that pain you know you you live your life in those weird generalities like well you know that's that's a lot less pain than than the i can't walk and i'm stuck like this pain and it was rough you know but uh yeah you know we just kept writing songs and it just seemed to make sense to us you know i just i i want to drop anchor for a second mm -hmm. what you did i i think there's a great takeaway there and especially as we're 
people have had it. We're, we're sheltering in place. People are losing their minds. Right. It's stressful. People are out of work. Having those distractions, those where you're competing against yourself to be the best at something or to master a skill, I think that stuff is really helpful. For, yeah, I agree. I mean, I what agree. you're going through is an extreme case of, of physical pain, but for, right. for mental stress, like being able to go through those creative calisthenics, I, I think yeah. can be really empowering. I agree. I agree 100%. It can shape your life and it can yeah. teach you how to do things that you never thought you could do. I feel like 80% of every battle is the belief that you cannot. If somebody, if you tell yourself consistently, I cannot do this, I don't have the right equipment, well, you're never gonna make that song, right? I cannot do this, I'm not an artist. Says who? I didn't get my, uh, my artist union card, you know? <laughs> I didn't go for like my art training. I just, just I made it up. One day I was yeah. like, I'm, I'm a musician. And that was it. And then I was, you know? It, I feel like we kind of define what success is for ourselves and we define uh, how our creative output flows, you mm -hmm. know, but I feel like the belief that you can is 80% of it. I know it sounds kind of like after school special cheesy, but it's true, you know, cause my surgeons, he laughed at me. He was a good surgeon, but he was kind of a cold heartless son of a bitch <laughs> as most great surgeons are. Mm -hmm. He sat across from me and he was just like, so have you been thinking about career options, anything you want to do in the future moving forward? You're pretty young for this. And uh, I had my first spinal surgery when I was 18. It was a spinal decompression. And the only reason that I ended up in that surgery being one of the first 18 year olds ever to have it wow. was because the guy who invented the surgery, my best friend, Naya, her mom was his paralegal. And she said, well, I got an 18 year old candidate for you. Think about it. Wow. You know, and I, and I said, yeah, you know, I'm in, let's do it. Let's do it. I need to get some kind of forward movement. And he said, look, this could, you know, this could paralyze you or it could fix you forever or it could fix you for 10 years. You know, I don't know. And I said, either option sounds heavenly. Let's just do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Total roll of the dice. Total roll of the dice. But that's life. You roll the dice every day. Every time you walk out your door, you're rolling the dice. And I feel like the world has kind of caught up to that idea now with everything that's going on, with quarantine, mm -hmm. with COVID, you know, with uh, everything, you know, <laughs> it's a roll of the dice, man. So, you know, I knew that then because I had made peace with the fact that, so whether I live to be 80 or I live to be 16, those roads all lead to the same place. You know, I'm dead, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna die. And when you accept that at that young of an age, you can start rebuilding your mind to understand now it's not about if I die or not, because I'm going to. Now it's about what can I get done before I go there? How yeah. much can I do? You know, because that's really what I'm leaving behind. You know, it's a foot stamp of some kind. So, you know, to me, I had made peace with that at a young age and I said, okay, you know, I'm gonna go do this surgery. I'm gonna roll that dice. And Dr. Geisler is his name. He's sitting there. And I told him, I said, I want to be a musician. I want to like do shows and I'm writing music. And he like, J.K. Simmons guffawed at me. Like, <laughs> you know, like you're, no. <laughs> He's like, you're going to have to start understanding that you're going to have to put your belongings in a briefcase or something that has wheels so you can roll it because you can't pick it up. He was like, there's no way you're going to do that. You can't do that. And I was just like, no, 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 you're wrong. I can't do that comfortably. <laughs> but I'm not here to be comfortable. 
Right. I'm here to, to do what I want, you know? And isn't it always people like that who inspire you the most? Oh, when, when someone says you can't do that, oh, so okay, true. watch me. I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> I love that. It's so true. I love that. That's one of my favorite motivators. You're absolutely right. Because when they look at you and they say, no, not possible. It's like, yeah, you go back 300 years and you're like, hey, we're going to have uh, cars. They're, they're, they're carriages that drive themselves. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. The only thing that keeps you from doing what you want to do is the belief intrinsically it's impossible. I can't do that. So, you know, yeah, I, I just didn't buy it. And I said, okay, cool. I got what you're saying. You're an asshole. Please fix my spine. <laughs> you know? and but you're did. right. All, all surgeons have that disposition. Oh, and yeah. I, I guess it's kind of a generality because really the only one I know is Stephen Strange, who's Dr. Strange in the comic books. <laughs> but he was a dick. He was a dick. And, yeah. and uh, totally believable. Totally believable. I saw that film. I was like, yeah, that's every surgeon I've yep. ever met. Check. Like, right there. <laughs> I am God with these hands. You're like, okay, cool. Just fix my spine or not, dude. Uh -huh. You're a mechanic of my body. Just fix it, please. You know? So he, he does. He went in. He did the decompression. That set me up for a while. And then we started playing shows. You know? And we did like the, <laughs> it was so much fun back in the day, man. We were doing like, we got our Penny Road Pub show, you know? Like, nice. It was just like the most exciting thing in the world to be that age and to go like, well, you know, I have an advantage in one way. I've been shut down for three years writing songs so we can play a set or two. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, for real. We, we got this. So we just started doing stuff, man. And it was just like whirlwind. It was whirlwind. I, I remember playing you when I was at The Zone. You did. Playing, playing Digital Mindy. Ah, and it, you know what? That was like one of the most exciting moments for us, it, that took us, it, it took us from feeling like, you know, maybe we can't to just like, boom, we can do anything. 94 cool. seven, the zone was played it. a song that I made up <laughs> a year ago. I'm, we could do it, we could do it. So that was, man, you have no idea how much that affected us. Where we That's were awesome. just like, it was just the coolest thing in the world to us. Coolest thing in the world. I don't know if you've ever seen that thing you do, the movie. Sure. When they're listening on the radio and they're running down the streets, totally our lives at that point we were just like that's oh, amazing coolest thing in the world to be like 17 18 and have your song played on the radio i mean come on you know so as your hulk status mm -hmm. has continued you're always angry you're always in this pain always i i just i i'm trying to wrap my head around it. being a performing a performer through all this creating new things going on stage i i i just I don't even have a question. I'm just hopelessly impressed by all that. Well, and I think, you. think you're, you're quite an inspiration that. for doing that. I really appreciate that. I don't know. I, when you live in it every day, you don't really feel like, you know what I'm saying? Like you feel mm -hmm. like you're more of a nuisance in a sense. You're like, God, my poor girlfriend's got to listen to me. Like they're like, not my back, you know, like I'm 80 years old. But like, you know, we, my father was, and my mother were both very big on like being supportive and being consoling without babying, yeah. you know? They were very, very much of the mindset. I always say my father taught me how to love and my mother taught me how to fight. Like she taught me how to get in there and just kick ass if I needed to. And pain was like that because she went through the same thing. We both kind of injured ourselves at the same time. She had a spinal surgery in her neck, Crazy. you know? I had one in my back. So we both bonded over that kind of, man, this sucks, <laughs> you know, yeah. that sucks and I'm tired because I can't sleep anymore, you know, but we took it, of course, because life is 
absolutely far more uh, complex and crazy than anything you can make up or that is fictitious. We started Digital Mindy. We started gaining momentum. Things, you know, I was a terrible singer, but that was okay. You know, we're just <laughs> figuring, it's true, we were terrible. But we were still figuring it out and having fun and being kids. We're the band, you know? Like, then I hit 20, it was around 2005. I hit 20 after three good years or so of like really playing and getting out there. And, you know, we're really working. And, you know, <laughs> I get like this bronchitis, right? And I go to the hospital and I'm like, God, I can barely breathe. They did a chest x-ray and they said, okay, you know, take these antibiotics, go home. I said, yeah, sure. But I got a show coming up, man. I got to really, you know, I got to be okay for this. So I go home and they call me and they're like, what are you doing right now? And I'm like, uh, uh -huh. nothing. They were like, you need to go to the hospital right now. And I was like, what? I got stuff to, they were like, right now. Oh boy. And I was like, okay. So I went and, it, you know, they sat me down. They said, look, we're just going to be honest. We found a golf ball sized tumor on your lung. And I was like, what? They were like, do you drink? Do you smoke narcotic? And I said, no, no, no. And no, I've never, I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. I don't, I'm generally kind of healthy. I mean, I ate a lot of cake. I ate like <laughs> tons of cake. But like, I don't know if that's like tumor cake. I don't know what's happening. You know, <laughs> like, look, we need to get this addressed. It could be something. It could be nothing, you know, but you got to prepare yourself because the size of this tumor, if it is cancerous, that is make your plans in five months situation. Oh, my Lord. As if you hadn't been through enough getting that information. <laughs> and it's true. And it, but it taught me something very important. There's no fair. Yeah. <laughs> that's the truth there's that's... no fair you know it just isn't so you know once again you can kind of feel and, and you're absolutely right though like i i went through that situation going man i survived this i can survive anything except for death i can't survive <laughs> that <laughs> you know that's gonna that's gonna get me so you know i went and i i met with my doctor uh dr gupta she's amazing i still see her to this day she's the only physician that has ever visited me in the or after having surgery and all these years, I've seen a lot of doctors. So I, I still trust her very much. But, you know, I go in and she's sitting there and that is the time slows down moment. There it is. <laughs> the world turns blue. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting with my mother and, you know, we're talking and it's weird how your body and your mind react to something like that. You think you can prepare for it. And even after going through everything I went through, I thought I was. And it's weird. I, I put my sunglasses on because I started crying. Yeah. And I didn't want my mother to see me cry or, you know. And I, I was just, the only thought going on in my head was, you know, what's, what are they going to do? What am I, you know, I haven't done what I wanted to do. I'm going to leave my guys, my band, my people, or, you know, this sucks. <laughs> but it it also kind of made me realize once again there is no fair fair is a privileged idea that we carry with ourselves that we are owed something right none of us are owed anything some people are born and they die i've been lucky enough to have 20 years you know i found love i i've experienced things i played shows if it had ended that year hey man what can i complain about <laughs> you know, it was a fun ride, but you know, was I ready to go? No. So <laughs> I said like, okay, what do we need to do? How do we fix this? Is it 
radiationist said, we need to get a biopsy. I think, okay. Which was painful in a completely new way. <laughs> like always, I, <laughs> always, always be learning. Always, always <laughs> new experiences. Oh, I'm mastering this pain thing. <laughs> no, I, I'm laying there on the table and they're like, look, we can't put any Novocaine in that area because it's too close to your heart, but we got to stick this needle in your chest while you watch. I was like, ah, while you let's watch. Do it. I love it. <laughs> while you watch. While you watch us do it. I'm like, great. Just grease it up and stick it in there. Just stab me. So you know, I, feel, I feel like I've seen this movie. <laughs> It, it was called Pulp Fiction. That's I, I writhed up screaming, going, Hi. I didn't even get the drugs. I just got stuck, man. So, you know, I ended up, they, they did the biopsy. Hey, it's inconclusive. We can't tell. Oh, great. You know, and meanwhile, at this period, I'm juggling, you know, going to work full time, having a full time day job. And I'm juggling like, okay, I'm, I got a day job. Because, you know, I was one of those people who was raised, you know, you turn 18, you get a job, you get a yeah. place, you take care of yourself, you know, and I love that. It was the greatest gift my parents ever gave me. That, that's Midwestern upbringing right there. Yeah, except that I'm from the South. Okay, well, very Midwestern. <laughs> no, it is. Right. Get out there and, and pick yourself up by your bootstraps and do the thing. No, I was pretty much raised up here. So, you know, that makes sense. But like, you know, we're, we're sitting there and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm losing my, my train of thought right now, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so biopsy came back inconclusive and they said like, okay, so we wanna, we wanna bring in for a new biopsy. So I'm jug juggling a day job and I'm juggling like, you know, uh, uh, the band thinking yeah. constantly digital mini, well, what are we gonna do? You know, I gotta keep booking shows. How long am I gonna be off, you know? And, and then with the, the second biopsy, I'm sure there was that thought, oh great, I get to do that again. Right, that was exactly what it was. Well, it was worse. <laughs> they were like, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna cut your side open and go in. And I was like, what? Why? Just do what? I don't get this. So uh, another surgeon comes in like a surgeon and he says, hey, Mr. Santiago, my name is Dr. Farachi. I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going? He says, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I've seen cancer. This is not cancer. And I was like, oh, can we get like a test to prove that though? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, but here's what I want to do. He's like, but it is a giant tumor. He's like, it's huge, which is why you've been having a lot of pain in your shoulder, pain in your elbow. Uh, he said, so here's what we're going to do. He's like, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to cut about 40% of that lung out. We're going to take that. He's like, so that that tumor has no chance of spreading. It's out of your body. I was like, okay. He said, but I want to tee off at around two or three. Stop times. it. I'm not Stop making this it. up. He said, so we got to get you in by noon. He was like, so I'm going to go for 10 minutes. I'm going to come back. You tell me I can take you right now. I said, okay, let's, uh, let me think about it. He said, yeah, yeah. But think about it now. He's like, cause I need to take you now if you can do it. And it's almost better that that was, that was the way it was presented. So yes. you didn't have time See, to obsess he, about it. He did that for me. That was That's interesting. It, man. He gave that to me. And you know, that guy was not an asshole. He was a very kind dude. It turned out when he did come and see me and say, Hey, how you feeling? How you doing? You know, he was a nice guy. And what he did was he did exactly that. He kept me from going home and he kept me from getting on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> going, for real. Is this a painful surgery? Right. <laughs> cause he knows it's gotta happen. It's gotta happen. So he comes back in, he says, did you think about it? And at the time, my, my girlfriend at the time was there and my father was there and I said like, you know, yeah, let's just do it. Fuck it, let's do it. Why not? I, have, I know pain. Right. I know pain. No, I didn't know pain, but I learned what pain was through that one. So Worse than the back. Far, far worse. It's one of the most excruciating things that's ever happened to me. Like, so, and to get a little gory, <laughs> they do a giant incision on your back which at that point, your left, my left arm, is, it was dead, mm -hmm. you know, because you cut through so many nerves. 
they take the lung out, they cut 40% of it off, which sucks as a singer. Yeah. Then they put it back, but in order to keep you from drowning in your own fluid, <laughs> they cut eight incisions underneath that and they stick these giant drainage tubes in them. Oh boy. And then they, they coil it into the lung. So it's constantly pumping fluid. And that happens for a good, like, I think I was in the hospital recovering for about eight or nine days. And I will tell you, the longest eight days of my life. Yeah, that doesn't sound awesome. Because <laughs> you don't think about those things because they tell you when you're going in, they're, they're like, you know, don't pull the tubes. Like, I don't know what the fuck that means, but okay. Don't pull the tubes when you wake up. Everybody wants to pull the tubes, but don't just don't pull the tubes. Okay, cool, cool. But you, you then realize, wait a second, this is plastic sticking in my flesh. Uh-huh. Every time I breathe, it expands and retracts. Which my breath at that point when I woke up was, <laughs> couldn't sure. breathe. You know? So I had to learn how to breathe again. I had to learn how to walk and breathe again. Oh I had to learn God. how to run and breathe again. And then I had to learn how to sing and breathe. Which in a way was also a gift. Because it took me to my next point of contact, which was my vocal coach, Laura Kessler, who is brilliant really got me over some hurdles and taught me some things that really made me reevaluate how to sing, you know, made me reevaluate my breath budget for when I'm singing mm -hmm. so that I wasn't running out of air performing. Makes sense. And, you know, uh, that all happened after that surgery because I had to do it. But we were, I think I had that surgery in June of 2005, June or July. And we were on tour doing the entire West Coast, I think, by like November. Oh, man. November, December. I, I want to give you a hug right now. I'm up for it. I like hugs. <laughs> this is my hug face. <laughs> I like the hug face. <laughs> Thank you. But it doesn't end there, James. <laughs> we, we still have a decade and a half to go over. So oh, no, I, we're good. I know. We haven't even made villains yet, right? <laughs> so, yeah, we did the entire West Coast with a, a band called Project 44, um, it was a uh, bass player from my life of thrill kill cult was in it. Levi, Levi. Oh, yeah. and I was big fans of that stuff. I loved the crow. I loved their song in it. Crazy stories from that, that was tour. after the flesh, after the flesh. Oh man. What a crazy, crazy love thing. thrill kill cult. So do I, it's so much fun and it was cool. And they covered that song on the tour because Levi was with him and he played. Yeah, That's cool. Man, Levi scared the shit out of me when we were in, um, I think it was like, we were going through like Nevada or something. We were like in an area with a bunch of mountains and hills and he was driving and doing like 120 and just taking every turn. And I was just like, you know, turning purple in the back. And I was like, hey, Levi, I have to pee. He's like, all right, man. And he pulls over and I jump out and I just ran. And he was like, Where, <laughs> what are you doing? Where'd you go? And I came back, I was like, dude, you gotta slow down. It's just <laughs> terrified. And he just like, ah, and hugged me. He was, a, he was a cool guy. It was a lot of fun. but. Yeah, it was, I think uh, we, we finished, I had my surgery in July. I think by September, I was pushing myself by doing an hour and a half set. Uh, I think it was at a college in the cult, just because I wanted to start to understand how this lung felt and how much I could push it. I get you that. Know? So I said, like, let's do it an hour in the cold. Let's do it outside. That way, you know, I'm in like the worst of the worst conditions. And if I can handle that, then I can do pretty much anything. But when you're in recovery time, recovery is a full-time job. You're just like, man, I got to, <laughs> you know, push myself to heal while respecting my own physical boundaries. It's a strange tightrope, you know, it's a very strange tightrope. I, I think it's really interesting how you push yourself when 
most mere mortals would have been happy just figuring stuff out at home. Like <laughs> maybe, maybe so. I don't know. Forcing yourself to to get out on the road to learn how to relearn how to sing and perform and deal with strangers every night. Right. I mean, when a lot of us are are in pain or or suffering, we just want to keep that circle tight. And you're 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 dealing with audiences and band members who aren't necessarily, you know, best friends. I mean, right, right. Interesting situation. You're absolutely right. No, just because you're in pain and you're going through this whole other side of your life, all of the pitfalls and follies and insanity that comes with being a musician and uh, a working musician, it's all still there. Yeah. All of it. Band members pissed off because of X, Y, and Z. You're dealing with the, you know, the merch girl is angry because 180 million stories. You've heard them all. It's all true. You know? (laughs) And I was like, no, that's just a movie, man. I watched, you know, I, I've seen how many biopics we got this. And I got others like, it's exactly what they said it is. It's the worst. <laughs> you know? What is this job? Why would anybody do this? You want to do a tour? I'm in it. Oh, let's go. You know, it's strange. And I feel like touring really kind of puts you in this headspace where that's when you, I feel like that's when you really decide whether you want to do this professionally or not. You oh, know? I, I believe that's true. I've known musicians, man, that are just like the best players in the world. They can't do the road. They just can't. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not for them, you know, and that's okay. But for me, like I was born and raised on traveling and on the road. My brother was raised on it. To us, it's second nature. We get antsy when we're not traveling. We're like, we're not going anywhere. What's happening? You know? Well, you, you strike me as a very gregarious, personable guy. Someone who strike me as an extrovert. I mean, it would, yeah. it probably wouldn't feel right to not Doesn't be in front of people. You're right. I get itchy. <laughs> I'm like, you know, because to me, what we've established here, not to get too kind of cheesy, but music is the religion, right? And we are prophets of that religion spreading its message. And that message on my end was always, you're going to be in pain, you're going to die, it's okay. And life can be funny and interesting, and you can make humor out of that, you know, garish thing that happens to all of us. We can laugh about it while we're here together, and that's what makes us human. That's what separates us from animals. We can laugh about terrible things and we can come together because of terrible things. I mean, I'm standing here in a mask. Clearly something got messed up somewhere along the way. Oh, I don't know. But we're here, you know, we're here. And that's the whole point is to kind of spread that message. So you do kind of get into this weird zone where you feel like when you're not out there spreading that message, you're like, God, I'm wasting time. You know, I'm wasting time. And I think hitting my thirties is, you know, was when I started to realize, no, 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 I'm not wasting my time. I'm biding my time. And I'm working in the shadows. That's fine. It's okay to work in the shadows and redefine and rehone what you do. So that when you take it out there, it's something new and it makes more impact. Yeah. You know? I, I like the existential message. Right. Make, making every moment count. Making, you have to. Yeah. Here's your one shot. What are you going to do with it? Exactly. You don't know. You, none of us knows what tomorrow will bring. And I feel like that that's partially what has thrown our society in an upheaval is that well, we kind of figured out together through this journey. Yeah. We can't predict tomorrow. We can think that it will be that way, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know? So, okay. We're not even at Vias for villains yet. <laughs> We're just in the digital Mindy chapter. Yes. So we came, we did a, a, another tour uh, the summer after my lung surgery. We went out with Raymond Watson pig. 
we did the entire uh, East Coast area up into the U.S. Like, it was a lot of fun. It was great. Those guys are cool guys. We're still friends to this day. They come and they, when they're in town, they come rehearse on my stuff and we hang out and stuff. But like, you know, so it was a great connection, great friendship to make. But, uh, and I was a fan. I was a legitimate fan of KMFDM and Pig and all their stuff. So when I met Raymond Watts, that was like, oh, wow, you're Raymond Watts. It's weird. You're really tall, dude. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and the day I met him, I walked into their uh, rehearsal studio. I think they were in Cleveland at the time. We were meeting up in Cleveland and then we were all going down to Florida together. And then we were going to go and do the tour. So we meet up in, you know, <laughs> in Cleveland. I'm like, hey man, oh my God, that's Raymond Watts. And the tour manager at the time, she took me out there. She was like, darling, everything you've heard about Raymond Watts is true. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Right. But I'm, <laughs> I don't want to be set on fire on stage either. You know, man with pig heads in his truck is going to kill me. But he was the sweetest, most gentle guy, you know, and he saw me and immediately, and you know how like dudes of, of that stature, the real rock stars are, they don't give a shit. You're the opener. Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. And that's generally how they act. But he came up to me. He's like, oh, Nick from Mindy of Digitalis. Nice. And I was like, oh, sure. <laughs> you know? And we were all friends ever since. So, you know, that was like a cool experience. And we came back home from that tour, Digital Mindy, and everything was different. You know, it was strange how that worked. We went and we did that tour and it didn't feel like anything important at the time. Like we're just going on tour, we're just having fun and whatever. And then we came back and then all of a sudden it was like, hey, you want to do that Metro show? <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to get into the Metro for four years, you know? Yeah. Of course I want to do that Metro show. I, was raised on going to shows at Metro. That would be amazing, you know? Then we did that for a while. And then around 2009-ish, it was, you know, we had done about a year or two of, do you want to headline that Metro show? Yeah, absolutely, you know? So for Digital Mindy and for what it was created to do and what it was created to be, it far outlasted what I thought it would because, you know, teenage 15-year-old makes up songs in the bedroom lasted for almost 10 years. I love so that, that. To me, that was everything. I said, we, we did it, you know. They told me I'd never get on stage. We're headlining the Metro. We won. The end. We've That's played it. Congress Theater. We're done, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> they were like, I, you know, what are we going to do now? I started to feel that the music was shifting. A lot of things in my personal life had shifted. I'd gotten engaged. That fell apart. Things didn't work out. It was like, oh, my God, everything's changing. Everything's changing. Digital Mindy, what are we going to do? And I said, you know, let's, let's do what we want to do. Let's just do what we want. What do I want to do more than anything in the world? And being a person that was raised on comic books, I learned how to read on Batman. I, I, I'm convinced the vocabulary I have to this day is because I, ra I was raised on comic books. I, I agree with you. I combed the spinner racks as a kid, and that, that's, that's how I learned how to read. Absolutely. I still remember sitting on my father's lap when he was in the Air Force five years old, four years old, something like that, pretty young. And him just going through the pages of Batman Adventures number one. Nice. The issue that had Penguin on the I, I was going to say. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's the one. He, I still remember this day him going through. I, just, I remember the, the smell of his brute, his cologne, and him just going through with me and having me sound it out and read it. But he always did this thing that was amazing to me. And we still continue this tradition today. That sounds weird. I sit on his lap <laughs> and I read to him. No, I'm kidding. Uh, he's still to this day, you know, we analyze 
every story we consume together. We go see a movie, we analyze the hell out of it. You know, what I love that, that. Mean and this and that. And that's just, that's our thing. That's our conversation. That's our topic. You know, we watch a show, we call each other. Did you see that? What did that mean? You know, but he, I remember getting to the end of that book and him asking me, now, son, do you understand what that meant? I was like, well, Batman, Batman's cool. He's like, yeah, 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 clearly. You know, he's got the. He's Batman. He's Batman. He's Batman. He said, but do you know what that meant? So we went back and we read it again and again. And this went on for a couple of weeks until I understood what it meant. Oh, I see. It's this. It's this. But he always, man, that guy, my father's a makeup artist. He's a renaissance guy. He's crazy. But he always made time to do stuff like that. I love hearing that. Always made time, you know. And to this day, Digital Mindy, he was like the third member leader of it. He was behind the scenes making all the websites and the graphics. And he was just so involved and was always personal managing for me and kind of like going, hey, you know, I talked to this guy and that guy, they got this. And oh, great. Thanks, dad. <laughs> you know, and it's like the most trustworthy person you ever have in your corner. Oh, for sure. But, you know, we did that. And I kind of bounced this idea off of him in 2009, 2010, because I started writing an album for Digital Mindy called Evolve or Die. And I said, you know, this doesn't sound like Digital Mindy. It's just to me when I listen to it, the way I'm singing, the flow of the music, just doesn't sound like Digital Mindy. And the band at this point hasn't written anything. I wrote all of it. I wrote the drums, the synths, the bass, the guitar part, the vocals, I wrote it all. So I'm sitting there kind of going like, I don't think this is the Digital Mindy album, <laughs> you know? And I kind of just followed my own lead and said, everything in my life is kind of changing. Everything's kind of shifting. Physically, I feel pretty good by comparison, you know? What are we gonna do now? And I called my father and I said, you know, I think it's time to let Digital Mindy take a break. And he was like, you sure about that? I said, think about this. What about this band, Villains for Hire? And he was like, what do you mean? I said, we're villains. You don't have a problem, make a problem, call a villain. Okay. Now, was this a, a play on Heroes for Hire, the classic Power yes. Man? Yeah, okay. Yes, and The classic so Power Man and Iron that. Fist, Marvel Comics combination. Uh, I always love that concept. Oh, it's amazing. I love that. Right. And I said, like, why aren't there villains for hire? Why can't you just hire a villain? Right. I mean, <laughs> but I guess in the real world, there are too many of them hanging around. So <laughs> you don't have to hire a villain. They're villaining on their own. But like, you know, I said, like, yeah, like we're mercenaries. Like, and then the band, the roster can always change. And we can design the show technically in a way that it can be a one-person show, a two-person show, or a 12-person show. Right. And we still give it the same oomph. You know, I had gotten very into programming MIDI. I'd gotten very into programming DMX lighting systems. I'd gotten very into understanding how to chop and edit video for show. And I said, okay, my goal is to take all of these systems, combine them into one so that when we play a sequence, it runs MIDI, it sends to the drum machine, which plays for us, not tracks, actual notation as if somebody's hitting the pads. So that it has that realistic drum decay when you hit a cymbal and it, shh, you mm -hmm. know, that way at the board, they can mix out the kick, snare, toms, everything on their own, and then connect that into the lighting system so that the lights always run on cue every single time the exact same way. Then it runs onto cue to another system, which triggers all the video and any kind of optical stuff. And then you throw together with that a costume and a concept, then we've got kind of a fun show, right? And he was like, yeah. It, just do it. See what happens. So, you know. And we, to your point, you've already, you had already at that point hit the heights 
far beyond what you had ever expected with digital. Never mind. expected. So ever expected. I, I mean, I think that's there's a smart level of self awareness there. I Thank you. This is if it's not clicking in the way it used to, and you already mm -hmm. accomplished what you set out to accomplish. I think it's okay to shift gears and try something new. And I, I yeah. never overstay your welcome, right? The showbiz one hundred and one. Absolutely right. Leave yep. them wanting more. Get out when you're funny. Get That's out it. when you're funny. George Costanza. Just uh huh. Get out when it's funny. You know, and I agree with that because sometimes you stay too long. I've done that, and I've done that as villains. I've done that in general as a performer. We kind of overstay, and I'm like, oh, okay, the joke's thin. Get uh -huh. the hell out of here, you know. Well, you know, so we, we kind of like came up with this concept. I said, okay, we're villains. We're villains. We're villains. We're the villains, you know? Well, what's your villain name going to be? And the last song that I wrote for Digital Mindy was called Meet Mr. Agitator. And I said, Mr. Agitator, done. You know, why? I don't know. We'll figure it all out as we go. What's <laughs> the Love running it. theme. And we just kind of started saying, okay, well, what's that like? And I said, let's, let's do kind of like a steampunk aesthetic. You know, that's kind of fun. But instead of it being brown, let's make it black. Let's make it darker. Let's... You know, like what would a villain be like that in that world? At the time we wore liquid latex paint for masks so we didn't have to deal with bands and stuff like that. You know, but my father being a makeup artist started doing molds of our faces and we started kind of shaping leather and I found another passion of mine in that which is making masks. Like I made the one I'm wearing and I've made all of my utility belts and the pouches and all that stuff. I'm the least artistic human being in the world honestly like you should have seen my snowman in kindergarten was the worst it was <laughs> as, as i'm listening to you talk about your hobbies and the fact that you grew up with comic books and <laughs> we, we could talk all day about luke cage and danny yeah, rand the iron yeah. fist how are we yeah. not best friends i don't know we, we are now yeah i guess that's true i'm sending you that virtual hug here it goes man here it goes that's everybody tuned out they're like oh i hate these guys <laughs> these guys are the worst no uh, <laughs> but no you're you could you could be my luke cage you could be my iron fist yes Come on, we're heroes. We're villains for hire. There yes. Yeah, we're in. All right, so <laughs> you, you go with this look. You, you start crafting your utility yeah. belts and your masks. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's funny how, you know, I had this idea in my head at the time, everybody's going to kick my ass. You know, everybody's going to try to kick my ass because I was raised on comic books. So I was just like, I got to get in shape. I was like, you know, lifting weights nonstop, even with the spinal stuff. I was going to say that that sounds <sighs> like a grueling thing to do it was agonizing i'm not gonna lie it was agonizing it was hard to keep up with but i managed and i just kept pushing myself and pushing myself running jumping physically lifting you know i was in great shape and i was like you know because i was just like somebody's gonna try to kick my ass out there i know it wait and just to just to be clear the spinal pain never stopped never stopped I mean, no so you're running and jumping and lifting weights uh, yes fascinating Sorry, go it, ahead. It only hurts every single time I breathe or step. Jesus. And, you know, you just, but it becomes a normal taste. I call it kind of a taste. You know, when you taste spicy the first time, you're like, holy shit. And then after a while, spicy becomes just a food. You know what it is. You know how you react to it. Right. And, you and when it's it. gone, it's strange. You know? Interesting. To be completely honest, when I had my first spinal decompression, there was about a three-month situation where I had a separation anxiety, where I was kind of like, this sensation I felt for years is not there. Something's wrong, you know? And I had to kind of rewire wow. my thinking to understand, no, that's good. But I'm just so used to it, you know? You just get so used to it that you're like, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, something must be off. Now, are you standing as we're talking? Yes. Is that a more comfortable position for you to be in? Sure, in this moment. <laughs> It just changes. Yeah, change sometimes it, right. it's horrible to lay down. Sometimes it's horrible to stand. Sometimes it's horrible to sit. 
Sometimes it's horrible to drive. Sometimes it feels great sitting in the car seat. What, what does that mean for you as a performer? Any, every night's different, I bet. Every night's a new, new challenge. It's a new animal. It's a new animal. And it's only when I become comfortable that I fuck up, to be honest. It's only when I become overly comfortable that I make mistakes and missteps because I forget that, you know? Oh no, this is going to be the thing. We're going to do A, B, and C and do the show and take off my pants and I'm a clown. And then it's like, uh, no, your, <laughs> your knee's going to, going to give you some real pain, you know, cause I have a bad knee and we're getting there. I promise. <laughs> um, all true. I promise I have, I have it on video, this one. But uh, to get there, I'll, I'll take you through villains in a, in a And I, I want to do a quick reset for people who yes. just joined us. Uh, this is Mr. Agitator from B is for Villains. We'll, we'll get to the music at some point. We're, we're hearing the story, which I think is, is a story. And I said this at the, at the beginning. I'll say it again now. A story worth hearing. This dude's been through more shit. He's been through more physical pain than Knockwood most of us will ever experience. He has worked through it through music. He finds a way to power through because he's driven to better himself. It's a really interesting story. And I, I think there are lessons to pull from this. V is for villains. Go ahead. Thank you. So, yeah, you know, I had come up with the concept. <clears throat> we had checked online. We saw some guy had the name villains for hire for his thing somewhere. And we were like, oh, we don't want to conflict with that. My father called me out of the clear blue and he said, how about V is for villains? And I said, okay. Like it's got that, that Hitchcockian ring to it. Right. He said it's a little dark. It's a little weird. Kind of like V for Vendetta, but not, right? So, yeah, or kind of sure. like, like Dial H for Hero, if you want to keep it in the comic book world. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, all of those things resonated with me. I said, yeah, let's just do it. Let's do it. Let's just get started on it. Let's not even think about it. Let's just move. So through that summer, uh, fall, I completed the album of Oliver Die, though I wouldn't release it for another year or two because I wanted to get shows under our belt, start building the reputation. And I will be completely honest, the success of Digital Mindy on the underground level at that point totally paved the way for us to do villains mm -hmm. because I was able to knock on the door of my contacts that I did not have 10 years prior right? and say, hey, I got this new thing. It's not Digital Mindy. Oh, man, are you sure? And we had a lot of doors closed. Are you sure? You want I said, no, no, trust me. It's going to be different. You just got to trust me. Meanwhile, I wanted to take the costume out for a spin. So I just suited up and started going into the city. No show, nothing. I would just appear in a club. You're fearless. You're absolutely like, fearless. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and they would just look at me because then I started to realize, wait a second, that's the best promotion. That's the best way to talk about your art and to share it with people is to create a statement, be bold in the moment. So I would just go up to the bar, order a drink, just have a beer, you know, and people would just float up to you. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing? I'm having this beer. Well, what's going on? <laughs> what do you think it's friday <laughs> you know and from there we started meeting people that were like and i started to hear keywords i wish i could do that i'm like you know i didn't get my degree in being a weirdo in a costume like you can do that too come do this with me yeah i can't just just do it start baby steps show up in, a, in an outfit you wouldn't normally wear let's go hit clubs let's just have fun why not? There could be no tomorrow. <laughs> That's it. Existential. So they started showing up and we started doing it. And one day I turned around. There were a lot of people in masks just hanging around with me places. We were just doing stuff. I met a guy at a bar once and his name's Ricky. And he says, 
you know, I was in a normal suit. I was work, doing a project, an audio project. I was writing music for the video game Fear 3, the first person shooter. Mm-hmm. Dwayne Buford from Ministry, keyboard player from Ministry at the time, he's my writing partner. We write a lot on a lot of stuff. We just finished a documentary. We do a lot of work outside of villains that's audio related and music related. And, you know, I was there having a drink and, you know, just hanging out. And I, there was this guy sitting in the corner and uh, <laughs> he kept looking at me and I was in a suit and tie and stuff because I was down at the offices, you know, uh, and I had just come after, after, after doing that. And I think it was around 2010, around the time I just started Villains. So, you know, there was this other guy in between us who was really weird. And I can't remember what he called himself, but he was like, he was one of those dudes that was like very like leather faced and terse and kind of like, where are you from, man? Where are you from? And I was like, oh, I'm from Mississippi. He's like, so you're in Mississippi. And I was like, okay, I'm Mississippi, you know? And he said, where are you from? Where are you from? And this guy, Ricky, he's like, oh, I'm from Florida. He's like, so that's Florida. And I was like, okay, so I'm Mississippi. He's Florida. And I can't remember where he says, I'm just going to say he was from Indiana. He's like, I'm Indiana. I'm like, okay, cool, Indiana, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I'm remembering his name wrong, but still. He goes, you know, and he kept calling the bartender who was a friend of mine a sweet ass and like all this stuff that I just didn't like or agree with. And I leaned in, I said, you know, Indiana, you need to stop calling this girl that. That's that's not cool. And he was just like, well, I'll call her whatever the hell I want, you know, defensive shit. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, seriously, stop it. (laughs) You know, and I was stupid when I was younger. So immediately I was like, I'm going to beat the shit out of you right here stop it. And he was like, well, I'll stab you. And I was just like, and I looked at him and and I see Florida over there staring at us like, (laughs) and I said like, you stab me, you better fucking kill me. Cause when I get up, I'm going to fucking embarrass you in front of all these people. And he looked at me and he goes, I like you. Let's have a drink. And I was like, Hey, Indiana, let's drink. So, you know, that's like out of a movie. That is like a movie. So I like, I float over to Florida. And I'm like, Hey man, what's your name? We're chatting and shit. And we're like, what's up with that guy? That guy's weird. You know? And he's like, yeah, yeah. We have a drink. He's like, I'm Ricky. He said, I'm a, I'm a game designer. I'm a game developer. And I'm up here. I just moved up here. I don't know anybody. I was like, well, you know me now we're friends. And he's just like, Oh, cool. I said, what are you doing tomorrow night, Florida? He said, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know what to do. I said, where's something dark. We're going to come pick you up at around nine or 10. And he's like, Oh, okay, cool, man. Cool. So I call my villains at the time, my band, mm-hmm. and I say, oh, my friends, it's time to suit up and go into the world. We're going to have a very fun night. <laughs> so we didn't really tell him what we were doing. We pulled up and I called him and I said, hey, man, go ahead and come out of your place. He comes out of his apartment. I see him walking across the street and I get out of the car and I got my hat on and I'm like, hey, how's it going? And he looked at me and just was like, I said, no, 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 don't turn around. Come on, come on you're coming with us. And he was just like, I don't know. I said, come on, come on. That's so he came up, he gets in the car. He's married to my best friend. Now they just had their first baby. <laughs> so we brought him into the fold, man. He's family now. And that's what we do. That's what I love about doing this. It's like the weirdest icebreaker in, the, in a strange way. You take these weird non sequiturs and just kind of turn it into, well, now you need a wife and a kid. Here you go. Do this, uh, man. And you know, that's a great story. Another great part of the story is that you weren't dead at the bar. That's true. Because yeah. I could have gotten stabbed to death and yeah. been an idiot. That, that could have ended yeah. poorly for you. Man, in the, in the first year one, in year one of Villains, there were so many times I should have been dead or did something stupid because I didn't know yet. 
or that I'm surprised somebody didn't beat me to death because I had not learned. Well, don't run from the cops. You know, they're going to chase you. Mm-hmm. That's how that works. But I did and I got away. <laughs> but, you know, maybe that shouldn't have happened. But in my defense, it was a strange situation. <laughs> Do you find yourself taking more risks in life just because of all the shit you've had to deal with through the years with your physical situation? At that time, absolutely. More so then. More so then. Because, I, you know, I had a very devil-may-care attitude. A combination of being a little too young and, <laughs> and of going through what I went through kind of filling yeah. me with this idea that, well, you, you know, have fun now. Whatever. Yeah. You know? And that worked for me very well, and sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it didn't work for me at all. <laughs> you know? Uh, we got into some weird situations at times where, once again, you're like running from the police. But you, you get out of it. You do what you do. You know, uh, we've survived. So I guess we did something right. But to do things like that today, no, probably not. You know, I know better. And I kind of have taken a step back and I've learned how to let the persona work for you instead of you feeling like you have to over rev it all the time. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like that old thing. Like, you know, the strongest guy in the room is the quietest one. You don't have to explode exactly. in order to get your point across. But at that time, I didn't know that yet. I was just amped on adrenaline and, you know, you're having your own Batman forever suit up moments, you know, in this weird well, psychotic I, thing you're doing. I mean, not to overanalyze because I have no business mm-hmm. doing it, but I mean, you were kind of deprived of a big part of your teenage years. So you probably absolutely. had a lot, of, a lot of youthful energy to shake off. Too much. And you're absolutely right. You know, I did. I missed a lot of things in my teens. Um, I never did prom. I didn't go to high school. I didn't make friends in that way, really. Um, you know, I had some friends from grade school-ish times, but, you know, and I was always grateful for who I had. I started seeing somebody when I was 15 and we stayed together for almost 10 years. That's amazing. You know? So we were together for a long time. And, you know, that I had to learn how to date as somebody in their 20s, uh, which took me <laughs> a long time, 10 years maybe to get right. Because mm-hmm. you don't, you legitimately don't understand these things or how to do it. And sometimes, you know, I had a bad habit, especially in the time of not knowing when to turn it off because it became such a comfortable escape zone. Yeah. You know, you put on the costume, you put on the mask, you go out there and then you do things, you know, and you have to remember sometimes to take it off, pull back, remember who you are, put it together and then go and do it again when you've recharged. Right. But I wasn't aware of that at the time. I was just going full throttle into this new idea. It was exciting. But you're absolutely right. I think missing out on a lot of things at such a young age put me in a situation where I had to, in a weird way, relive the, the childhood in that sense I didn't really have. Sure. You know? And I did kind of walk away and say, what do I want to do? Who do I want to be? I want to be Batman. Always be Batman. <laughs> so I'm going to be Batman. <coughs> you know, kind of. Maybe a little weird, twisted version of Batman, but we're going to do that, you know? And then uh, we had a drummer who said, hey, go do conventions. I was like, what do you mean? His name's Richard Nash. He runs Anime Magic now. So he has his own con. He said, hey, man, no, no, seriously, get into the cons. I'm like, cons? Like, I went to comic book conventions when I was a kid at times. But I don't remember, like, will they pay for something? Like, do they want to do this? No, no, seriously, try it. So <laughs> our very first convention that we ever booked was in 2012 through Jeff Mock, and it was Steampunk World's Fair, which was a huge event. We had no idea what we had just stumbled into. We just realized over time, wait a second, a lot of people are going to these things. We're in costumes. 
This makes sense. Well, it makes total sense because you're talking about communities. There's right. one, one thing that good bands learn a lot quicker than others is that importance of community and embracing that community and being part of it. And cons are just a different side of that whole ethos. I agree for better and worse, you know, like it's its own animal. It's so different from doing a club show. You know, there you go, you do a weekend, you do a weekend, you may do two or three shows that weekend and you do public speaking events, panels, Q and A's, mm -hmm. you know, we would do erotic reading with Mr. Agitator where I would read 50 shades of gray. Oh, <laughs> it's just the worst. <laughs> you know? I was going to say that that might be the least erotic thing I can visualize right now. <laughs> it really is. So, you know, and these fans and kids, they would send me stuff. Like, you know, I, I was a, you know, helicopter that had sex with someone. I'm like, what? You know, we'd read stuff like that or we'd show bad music videos or we would, you know, just do Q and A's, tell them stories. Kind of like, this is the time I ran from the cops. This is the time we were on tour and Raymond Watts threw a water bottle. You know, just weird <laughs> shit. And through that, we started making connections with all these people that were lovely people. You know, in 2013, tying it all together, <laughs> I was at a con called Anime Zap. It was in Peoria. And I'm on stage. So we're, it, everything was normal that weekend, right? It was me, my brother, who is Fallon Flynn in the band. And at the time, Veronica Jade, who was our keyboard player and backup vocalist. We're there, we're shaking hands, we're doing the thing. We'd walk the floors a lot. We talk to people, we do pictures. We don't charge for pictures or anything like that. We just want to hang out with people and get to meet them. You know, we'll have a merch booth there all weekend. And we'll just hang around and talk to them. <clears throat> so we're there and everything seems normal. It's all proceeding as planned. So <laughs> we go on stage, we're playing our song, Everybody Hates Me. We're halfway through. I step backwards and the stage collapses. It snapped my knee in half <laughs> and I fell backwards and rebroke my back. Like right in that moment, in costume, full thing, on video, 100%, I have it. I'll send it to you. Uh... So I'm laying there and the first thoughts that are going through my head are, I can't feel my feet. I think oh I'm finally God. paralyzed. Not knowing what had even happened. Now, about an hour or two earlier, I went to the hotel and said, that stage is really shoddy. You know, you guys need to take a look at that. <laughs> like, that's really weird. But you yeah, because uh, conventions aren't known for concert infrastructure. I mean, they're, they're making exactly. that stuff up. They're making it up. And you're absolutely right. Now, they're getting a little better. But even then, you're in a hotel. They provide a stage. The audio guys provide audio, and then you figure out it's not like a club where it's built for sound, right? right? And it's and that stage a, is usually for like corporate gatherings or exactly. bar mitzvahs, right? They're usually not for shows, mm -hmm. you know. And some places have better ones than others, but that one was terrible. It's the worst one I've ever seen, even to this day. So you know, we were trying to be kind of careful, and of course, I just happened to step back into a divot, and it just gave mm. way, boom, just like that, knee broken, back broken. So. I thought I'm paralyzed. I, this is it. Then I started moving my toes. I'm watched, and this is not a joke. I watched my hat roll away. It was like, bye life. <laughs> you know? oh there it goes in front of 800 people. <laughs> the most embarrassing time. I didn't even get to finish the song. We didn't even stop. They kept playing. And all of a sudden something hit my feet and I could feel, move my toes. Oh my God. Now my back was in pain. My knee was hurting. I tried to apply pressure to it, but I couldn't. At one point, my brother came over and kind of like looked at me, tried to help me up, and it just felt it pop again. And I was like, nope. And I fell back down. So I rolled over to my stomach. I grabbed my mic 
It's a wireless. I combat crawled to the front of the stage and we sang like eight more songs. Oh my God. We didn't stop. We're like, we're, don't stop shit. We're, go- we're going. This is happening. Is it happening? This is happening. This is like Michael Jordan level stuff eh, during the playoffs. <laughs> hey man, you don't stop the show. Don't stop. You know, there's only one time I've ever really stopped in the middle of a song. That's because a girl in the audience passed out. Good. And I was like, stop, stop, stop. Da, 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 da. We're done. Lights up. Boom. And, you know, we made sure she was okay and called paramedics and everything. Khan got paramedics down there. They took care of her. That's the only time I can recall that I've ever like stopped a show within my control. But I'm laying there. <laughs> And uh, at the time, Carrie's boyfriend, our backup vocalist, Veronica Jade, her boyfriend, Victor, he's an actor. He's a great guy. You know, he's in like shows like Chicago Fire and all that stuff. He comes up and he's like, hey, man, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm bad, dude. He said, hey, man, I'm going to get you up. I'm going to get you in a chair, okay? So yeah, sure, sure. Thank you. So he kind of like helped me up and I'm hobbling. And, you know, he's revving the crowd because he's an actor. He knows, you know, hold the momentum, mm-hmm. make them have fun because, what really started to get me and where I said, I got to do something is they laughed when I fell because it looked funny. Then when I stopped moving, I could see that they were getting nervous. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to freak out a room full of people. (laughs) Like that's going to be the worst night they're ever going to have. This can either be the coolest night ever, the worst one. (laughs) Mr. Agitator. Yes. You telling the story brings back a story you told earlier when you Mm -hmm. found out you had that tumor on your lung. The way you responded when you started telling that story earlier was, what about my band? What about my parents? That was your first reaction when you told me that earlier. Right. Your first reaction when this happened to you on stage is, I don't want to make the crowd uncomfortable. It's interesting to me and, and impressive. The, fir- the first thoughts that go through your head aren't about yourself. They're really about taking care of others' feelings and perceptions. I, I think that's very interesting. Thank you. I mean, I try to. You know, you try to as much as you can. Um, everybody's different. And I feel like where sometimes that message can get jumbled with people is that everybody processes feelings their own way. So, you know, and I think in our society right now, we have kind of a strange way of not understanding that maybe something I said hurt your feelings. I didn't mean to, but Mm -hmm. also, you know, give me room to say, I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? Or fix it. Or we're kind of strange in that way right now. But to me, absolutely. You know, I very much care. And that's, when somebody gets angry or, you know, throws something or gets pissed off or storms out, it's easy for me to build my shield of like, okay, that's not cool, you know. But the thing that's hardest for me is when somebody that I've worked with says, you know, you hurt my feelings. Or I didn't like, that to me hits me. And I'm like, oh shit, you know, what did I do? What can I do to fix this? Or can I do anything to fix this? Right you do your best, you try, and you can't save everyone. You can't fix everything. And just like everybody else, you know, I, I fuck things up all the time, but a hundred percent, you know, it does matter to me, you know, and what these people feel and think it matters to me, you know, it's just difficult sometimes to know what the right path is, you know, but when it comes to myself in those moments, I know I'll deal with it later. Physically, I don't want to freak all these kids out that are watching the show. Yeah. And I want to ruin their con experience. And I don't want to ruin their like, dude, I just watched a dude just fall on stage and cry you know, yeah. for an hour. Like, that's a bummer, man. And I feel like <laughs> that situation, 
you know, I'll deal with the pain tomorrow, if that makes sense. And when I'm alone and I'm in private, I'll deal with it, you know? And if that means I'm like, uh, <laughs> you know, that I am, uh, yeah. But in this moment, I'm combat crawling to the front of that fucking stage and we're not stopping because why should we? Everybody worked really hard. My guys worked hard. The convention worked hard. We worked hard. No, we're doing this thing. So, <laughs> you know, I got my mic. Victor stands me up. He pulls my coat off. He sits me in the chair and I'm just sitting there like, oh, this is happening. We're doing this. So we keep going. We're playing songs. And it was, it was a really kind of a, a weird way, an amazing experience for me as a performer because you just saw the crowd just connect and they were just all there with you. Yeah, 100%. I'm sure. I, we were in 100%. They were in 150%. We were in 200%. They were in 300%. You know, we had them waving and having fun. Then I look in the crowd and I see the sea of people part. And then here come the paramedics. Oh, man. Paramedics just coming down with all their stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is happening. They come onto the stage and one of them leaned in and asked me, hey, how are you feeling? I was like, I don't feel good. Do I really have to stop? Can I keep going? No, no, you got to stop. We got to take you with us. Because uh, we could let you go up to your room. You fall asleep and then you wake up paralyzed. We got to right. check you. And I'm like, you're right. Let's do this. So I take my ears off. I hand them to Carrie. I pull my brother and I'm like, here's the mic. It's your show now, buddy do it and he's just like oh wait okay cool we're gonna stop nope keep going we didn't even stop the track we didn't stop anything they just kept That's playing amazing. paramedics picked me up wrapped my neck put me on a gurney wheeled my ass right out of there <laughs> i'm doing high fives on the way out bye guys have fun <laughs> you know visit the merch booth <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need it. <laughs> you know, we're getting ready to take a long, long ambulance ride. So, you know, my father came with me. They took me to the hospital and a doctor comes up to me and he says, he sees me in my costume because I'm there in my costume. Oh yeah. And he runs up to me. He's like, what happened? What happened here? And I knew that life only hands you rare moments that are a gift like this. So I looked up at him and I grabbed his coat and I said, I was fighting crime. That's amazing. And he was like, he's like, I think crime won. <laughs> it might have, yeah. So they wheeled me in. They gave, they were, do you want anything? I was like, yeah, coffee would be great. Because, you know, I've learned over time, caffeine helps with pain. Okay. Even though it's, you know, probably not great for you. Helps with pain, you know. So they come in, they, you know, they strap me up. They're like, okay, cool, cool. We're all good. They check my knee. They, they're like, yeah, that looks pretty broken. Um. <laughs> they're like we don't even have an mri to check your spine but you need to get it looked at you know so then i went and uh i saw uh, a physician first i got an attorney we went we talked they sent me to a physician we did all that stuff you know um yeah man uh i had spinal surgery again a fusion in july of 2013 and knee surgery in the same week oh my god <laughs> It's true. I had my knee done first, then they wheeled me in and I did my spine. Did it at the same time. Uh, July, August, September, October. Three months later, we were headlining Nightmare in Chicago Street in Elgin. Didn't stop. Heal, get back to work. You know, my doctors told me, look, you're going to need to take some time yeah. soon, man. I said, look, I got contracts. We were doing a month at Fear City. We were, do, we were just all over the place for the next four or five years, convention after convention after convention, all around the country, just going, 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 moving. Physically, it was killing me. 
And that's the I truth. Bet. I would do the show because I, I will say after having that fusion, my spine's never been the same, you know, after having the knee, never the same because the knee is pretty rough and I've had the, the spinal stuff. Sometimes the knee is worse, you know, cause you don't realize how much weight you put into it. You know, I was doing a show. I mean, at, at this point, the only thing that's left to have happen to you is like stepping on a rake and getting hit in the, in the nose by it. It's, <laughs> it's coming. I know that yeah. I, I walk right now. And it's like, <laughs> well, there it is. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was, we were doing a show in 2015. We were headlining house of blues. We're down there. It's like, I think a Saturday night. And that's a huge deal for me. You know, everything kept going wrong. We got there really late and I felt horrible about it, you know, but we're there and we're, we're getting everything going. We're getting everything going. And I had that moment, you know, where I'm sitting there in the dressing room and I put the, I'm, I'm just looking at my face because I, I know I'm in so much pain. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can do this for an hour and a half. And it was the first time that thought ever creeped into my head. Wow. And I'm, I, I think I just turned 30. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. And I put my mask on and I put my hat on and I was like, I can do this. I can do this. It just changed your entire. My body language changed. My physicality changed. And I was just like, you don't feel pain. That's it. Because this brings you joy. And this is. That's it. That's it. That's 100% it. I said, you love doing this. This is who you are. And if they have to wheel you out there in a wheelchair, you're doing this. Mm -hmm. Because it's who you are. It's a part of you. It has become you. Be careful what you wish for. (laughs) But I did. I, I looked at myself and I said, this is it. This is what I'm doing. This is who I am. And for the next hour, you have the next week to feel pain at home Mm -hmm. for the next hour and a half for everybody that paid for a ticket, everybody that drove. And in today's day and age, getting five people through the door at a club is like pulling teeth. Oh yeah. No doubt about it. It's hard. It's hard for everybody. So when you have hundreds show up, you're lucky. You're a lucky performer, you know? And I felt lucky. And I said, you know what? I don't feel pain for an hour and a half. I'll feel it next week. Yeah. So I went down there and every time I felt like I was going to give way or I felt like I was I done, I would just kind of pop myself and be like, you're, you're up, you're here, you're in it, stay in it, do it, do it. You're fine. You know, we did it. And then I, you know, walked backstage and collapsed on my dad. <laughs> you know, who's just like, oh, son, you got to stop. You got to chill out. I'm like, no, we got to keep doing this, you know. Around 2018, my physician, Dr. Gupta, who I see regularly still, said, you got to take a year off. You're done. I was like, are are you sure? Other surgeons had told me that. Other physicians, she told me that. And I think you're, I asked her. I asked her. I prompted her. I said, do you think I should stop for a while? She said, well, how do you feel? I I feel terrible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop. Okay. So I did, I took a year off and I'd never done that since I was 16, 17. And man, was it weird? It was weird because this has been my full-time job, my life for so long. Yeah, the merry-go-round stopped. The merry-go-round stopped. And I was just like, the first two or three months was like, wow, I can do normal things. 
It's like a more comic book reference. I was like Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man 2. I was like walking by eating a hot dog while some criminals were chasing some dude. I was like, huh, I don't have to be Batman. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Weird. Is that Spider-Man 2? I think so. Existential Crisis, Dr. Octopus. Oh, Spider-Man yeah, yeah. Two. Spider-Man 2, yeah, yeah. 2004. I think that was the one. Mm-hmm. The best of the bunch, by far. I loved it. I, lo- mm-hmm. I love that film. It's an amazing film. And it's, it's true to life, you know. I, that, that, something about those Spider-Man movies, man, those original ones, always pick me up when I'm in a bad mood. Spider-Man's always been my favorite. And I, I don't mean to detract from your story or distract no. or go. To, but I, I love sp- the character of Peter Parker because he's all of us. He is. He, I mean, he is. If you were a superhero, you'd be Spider-Man. Right. He's got girl yeah. trouble. He's got problems at work. He, he's having a hard time just making rent. He's having a hard time, you know, covering for his superhero life. He's, it's just hard to be him. Uh, right. People who like him as Peter Parker, hate him as Spider-Man. I mean, right. all these great conflicts and dramas, the powers are ridiculous and completely right. not believable, but the believability of Peter Parker always made him my favorite. Love Peter Parker. He is simultaneously the sweetest and biggest asshole in all of comic bookdom in the weirdest ways biggest asshole oh he's so sweet he's a sweet character he will give you the shirt off of his back he cares about aunt may he cares about his friends he cares about harry and you know uh i'm i'm not gonna worry about hobgoblin right now (laughs) the guy that's gonna go kill 20 people bye he's out of sight i don't remember him yeah. Okay, Peter. Or, well, you know, I put the costume on at night, so I should be able to sleep with Black Cat while I'm dating Mary Jane. That's fine, because I'm not a Spider-Man now. Uh, are you though? <laughs> you know. But what I like about that, he's he's still a good guy and a mm-hmm. good character, and his non-redeeming qualities only make him so much more human and so much mm-hmm. more believable. And I agree with you so much on that. Like in the sense that he is all of us. None of us are all good or bad. We all right. have so many, we all have 50 shades of gray. Yes, we do. And, you know, in those shades, who knows? You know, being good to one person may aff- affect somebody in a negative way. I don't know. All you can do is do your best. And I, man, Spider-Man was always that moral conundrum for me when I was a kid, reading my dad's comics. He gave me all of his comics and I would read Spider-Man nonstop, you know, all of the great ones from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, God, you know, he's got that black suit on. He's like vicious. <laughs> you know, I think this is about being a drug addict. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't think this is really about a black alien costume. I think it's about addiction, you know? And something in there like struck a real chord with me with his character where I love Batman. I love the character of Batman. He is completely unrelatable. That's I can't it. relate to Batman, you know? I don't understand that. I have my parents, right? And I am not rich and I don't, you know what I mean? Not relatable in that way. Batman is an interesting character to me because Batman's the villain of his own story and he doesn't know it. Spider-Man is interesting well to me because, uh, you know, Spider-Man has the potential to be the worst villain because of childish reasons. You know, mm-hmm. it's not even about he has some nefarious plan. He's just being lazy. Or he's just, you know, the real threat, I think, in that character lies in all of the minute details where and how he's you know, I, I just didn't feel like doing it today. Or I yeah, there, There's a bank being robbed, but Mary Jane's waiting outside the theater and I can't <laughs> right. not show up there. Right. But I guess who am I to say? Because, you know, 
you still have to have a life. And at some point you remember you can't save the world. You know, that's right. You just can't. Just ask Gwen Stacy. Yeah. Oh, you just hit my heart right now. <laughs> All right. So you, you yes. took a year off. Took a year off. 2018. You know, I came back and we started playing again. Everything kind of picked up. Craziness with conventions. I kind of got out of anime conventions. There was some drama. Like those guys are kind of eating themselves alive, you know? And I was like, yeah, I'm stepping out of this. You know, there's a lot of, some of it very much needed social change that's mm -hmm. in the air things that need to be policed and stricter and some things where they're just witch hunts. And you're like, I don't want to be involved in this. You know, I'm a performer. I'm there to play. I want to do things. I don't know anything about anybody's personal life. We're contract players. So, you know, I kind of said, eh, let's not do those cons at this point. Let's focus on horror cons. Let's focus on other things. Um, you know, a few years back, I started putting together audio rentals and I would do audio for conventions as well. So mm -hmm. we would show up and we would have the full PA system, the lights, you'd get villains, you get all this stuff in a package for a weekend, you know? So we would go down there and do that. And through that, I'm a big horror movie fan. I love horror movies, always have. Again, how are we not best friends? I know, right? But I got to work with all those cats over the next five years, you know, from 2015 up where I was like doing audio for Doug Bradley, who was Pinhead, Robert England, Freddy Krueger, you know, mm -hmm. and getting to do all this stuff. It was just all the, it was like my entire, <laughs> you know, heartstrings being pulled at simultaneously just listening to these cats watch and record uh, talk and recording them on my board and being like man this is this is amazing you know this is amazing just seeing these people that i grew up watching right yeah like and i feel like horror is such a interesting genre because you i feel like society sometimes gets them wrong where they're like you know you're into that splattery shit and the gore nah most of those cats like survival they're people who survive and they're interested in the survival aspect. Not they like the monster. The monster looks cool, but I've met more people at those things that enjoy the final girl and the person who made it, you know, what an amazing thing to witness, you know? So to me, I feel like people kind of get them wrong a little bit, but. Well, there's so many roads you can go down with metal or with uh, horror. It's like heavy metal. Right. You've, there's Viking metal. There's thrash right. metal. There's speed metal. There's doom metal. There's stoner metal. Right. It's all metal, but it's very different and appeals to very different tastes. I, I'm not into the splatter or the right. or like the Friday the Thirteenth slasher type stuff. I like the the profoundly disturbing psychological horror stuff. I loved yeah. Midsummer last year. I love oh yeah yeah all that. I, I like those uh, ethical quandary movies like Saw. Oh, yeah yeah, and, yeah. Um, absolutely absolutely. Or what was the one? Uh, Would you rather? Terrible movie, but I loved it. Oh yeah, yeah, I watched the hell out of that. that one had um, uh, Sasha Gray in it. I That's think. it. Yep. 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 I did. I watched that movie. And Jeffrey Combs, who was amazing. Yes. He was in yes. Reanimator. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. He was really good. That was a really good niche horror film. I actually mm -hmm. really liked it. And I agree. You know, and I, I think uh, honestly, one of the best horror movies I've seen in the last three years. I only just rediscovered again as an adult that I saw as a kid. Didn't really get it as a kid. Dead Ringers. Oh my God, that's so unsettling. Oh, David Cronenberg, Jeremy Irons. Oh, it's it. a gynecological nightmare. It really is. It's such a messed up movie for so many reasons, but you can't stop watching it. It's oddly beautifully shot. The oh, score yeah. is amazing. The music's incredible. You know, it's a great film and a performance by Jeremy Irons. It's just groundbreaking, man. Love it. He, he was on a tear for a while. A Reversal of Fortune, that one. I mean, there's a whole string of movies he was in that just to me just master master class type level stuff no, i agree i agree it was amazing on watchmen too all right so took the year off did some took sound for off. horror 
I, I'm trying, I just wanna, we have to wrap up by midnight. I'm just you saying. You got it. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I only have like 18 more hours of story. Oh, perfect, perfect. Okay. Uh, no, <laughs> so sorry. No, it's so like we, filibustering. We're never going to get this law I passed. I know, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Little Red Riding Hood <laughs> said, <laughs> 20 hours later, they're still pumping coffee into my veins. <laughs> I'm like, hey, James, you still there? <laughs> and then I fall asleep first. Um, no, I... <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Like I did, I did audio for that. I worked for Motorola for a while uh, in their audio department. I design, I did all of the audio optimization for all of their cell phones from 2015 up. Oh. So if you hear a hello, Moto, I'm the one who made sure it didn't blow up the speakers. Amazing. You know, weird, strange side things that I didn't ask for, but kind of fell into, but love doing it. I love you it. Know? And then through that, subsequently, I did audio op for other projects. I've mastered and done mixing for other CDs, but I kind of stay underground. You know, back in the digital Mindy days, we had a little bit of label interest midway through, and I just rejected all of it. And I was like, no, no, I don't. Some people would say maybe that's stupid. Uh, back then, I could maybe hear it, but in the present day, I, I don't know what the value oh. is to standing with the label. I, I do not understand. Yeah, no, I don't agree. I agree. I don't, I don't see the value. I don't see the value today, especially. And back then, I said, there's barely a value now. And right. when, I, when I actually took a look at some of those contracts or some of those ideas, I was like, so what's going to happen is you're going to take my music. You're going to give it to somebody that you feel like will be more successful with it and dissolve my entity. Mm-hmm. And that's what I felt like was going to happen 99% of the time. You like my songs, you want my songs, but you don't want me to sing them. You know, uh, I don't know. I don't want to do that. I'd rather be in control of what we do. Absolutely. Instead of having you say, you can't play that show. I hate that. I'm mm-hmm. not doing that. You don't tell me where we go when we play. We've done shows for birthday cake. You know, I love cake, James. I'll do you shows. You made that clear. Cake. You made that clear. And truth be told, I love a good yellow cake. I love a good, uh, with fruit filling, I, I, I'm a fan. Talking dirty to me now. <laughs> uh, you know, like seriously, we've done shows for people that were fans. We said like, oh, it's a birthday party? Yeah, hell yeah, we'll go do that. You know, with a label, you can't do that. And they're like, no, we own your voice at that point. You don't go anywhere we don't tell you to go. There's, there's no money to be made on a label. You will only right. walk out of the experience in debt and angry. I agree. Uh, and if you understand branding, if you understand how to build an audience and be part of that community, you'll do fine. There you go. I say, and that was always my point. Rock style lifestyle is it's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, rock star lifestyle bullshit to me in the sense that it's all made up. Nobody really has all that shit for real. You know, it's an image that someone's trying to sell to you, an image of success that breeds more success. I get that. I don't need all that stuff, man. I just need a recording studio so I can keep making my work. I know how to do that myself. I don't need a million dollars. I just need to pay my bills. That's it. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm happy like that because I learned at a young age, when you die, you don't take it with you. None of it goes with you, you know? So (laughs) I could spend the next 15 years and my ambition is money. Or I can spend the next 15 years and my ambition is art. And maybe that art will survive. Maybe. Maybe not. Can't hurt my odds to care about it, though. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Is Mm -hmm. this attitude, thought process, what fueled sad hit song? (laughs) Absolutely. 150%. In that downtime of a year, I wrote a new album called Villains Never Die. And the title came from fans. They started it. My brother went to a convention we were supposed to be playing. My brother and I think another bandmate or two, they went out there and they did the Q&A even though I couldn't show up because I was still recovering. 
and they were the sweetest people. They saw, they, all of these fans signed this thing, this big like white piece of like paper that they had there. They were all signing, get better, Mr. Agitator, Mr. Agitator, we miss you, all this sweet, sweet stuff. And in the center, they put, villains never die. And I said, what a great it. name. That's, that's it. That's it. They gave me that gift. I, I got to take that gift. Mm-hmm. And they started a hashtag where they were like, hashtag villains never die. And they would tag me and stuff. Like, oh, okay. That's sweet. You know? So I took it and it, that, that just resonated with me so strongly because they're correct. You know, number one, for the obvious reason, villains in movies, we never die. <laughs> we just sit back up like Jason, like, Hey, I'm here. You know, uh-huh. you know, where's that teenager? <laughs> you know? Uh, and in the mentality of this community that we've created, when I die, my hope one day, if I play my cards right, is not to make a billion dollars and, you know, jump around like an idiot spending money on shit. My goal is to take this mask and this hat and pass it to a worthy successor who understands what we're doing and say, you are Mr. Agitator now, go out there. It's like Iron Fist. Yes, absolutely. Here. I am not Iron Fist. Take this. Go. You are, you are Iron Fist now. You are Mr. Agitator now. Go do this, you know, and spread it. Because I feel like there's a need for it. I feel like a lot of times our fan base washes up on our shore. They're going through some shit at times. And we're kind of there to say it's okay. You know, it's going to be okay. We survived. You can survive. Yeah. We're going to survive. We're all going to survive together. And we're going to play some fun songs while we do it, you know. But that so there, there is that kind of a there is that kind of emotional catharsis. Absolutely. Absolutely. On, on both sides of the stage. Absolutely. I feel it. I really feel it. You know, and when we have, man, so many thoughts that come back to us about what this music is about. Those are my favorite conversations. They're the longest conversations, but they're my favorite. You know, you shake hands, you hug, you do the picture. <laughs> and there's always a fan that's like, so I was listening to Murder in the Art. And when you said there was something wretched writhing inside of me, were you referring to dot, 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 X, Y, Z? And my answer is usually, well, what do you think I was referring yeah. to? You know, because I don't want to paint what it's about to them. Because to them, it's their playground. They make it what they want it to be about. 100%. You know, because I know what it means to me. And I realized that the moment you become a performer, a professional performer, meaning they have paid a ticket mm-hmm. to come watch you perform, it's no longer about you right that's that's absolutely right it's about them you know that's you know we're there to help them have a good day and we're there to validate their experience not to say well you're wrong and this is why no 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 because the truth being i i made it up it can be whatever you want it to be so you know those are my favorite conversations because i'll ask And, and sometimes i will interject with my thoughts and say well, that's not necessarily what it meant to me, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. Either. Sure. You know, because now you're helping me understand something about my work that I didn't even know. See? This goes back to you reading Batman <laughs> Adventures number one over and over till you kind of <laughs> found it. your way through it. So true. Shouldn't it be that way, though? You know, if, if my song, no offense to anybody that wrote In the Club 150 times, if my song was In the Club, In the Club, In the Club, I mean, there's not too much to dissect there. I'm not yeah. saying it's a bad song. Maybe a real banger, man. But, but I'm, maybe... I'm pretty clear on what that is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I mean, I had fun listening to it while doing shots, but do I ever want to listen to it again? Probably not. 
you know, my favorite thing about our fan base and the people that, that join us on this journey is that they're dissectors. They are also, just like us, searching for the human condition. And they're out there dissecting every line and every lyric and they're understanding. Another one of my favorites is when they find the sounds that I've buried inside of the layers of mixing. And they're like, oh, that sound, I like that sound. Oh, that's cool. You know, like those things, because I feel like, you know, not to get too, you know, artsy and shitty, but like, <laughs> I feel like when you're writing music and you're audio engineering at the same time, you're playing producer, you're playing performer, you're playing songwriter, and you're playing engineer all at the same mm -hmm. time. You know, and I always tell people, if you love my work, it's my fault. And if you hate it, it's my fault. You know, there's nobody else. There's yeah, the you own it. Here. Yeah. I own it. If you hate it and you thought it sucked, I, I will wear that. That's fine. But, you know, <laughs> to be 150% honest and fair, you know, I really believe what I'm writing. And I feel like you're painting with sound. Mm -hmm. You know, the music should be like a nice oil painting where there are layers to dissect, you know, and you can lose yourself in there for days. My favorite people are the ones that initially listened and said, no, that's weird. Or that guy's voice is not what I expected. Or, you know, uh, something in this is not top 40. It bothers me. Mm -hmm. And then they come back a week later and they're like, but that was kind of catchy. And then they come back a week later and then they're like, I think you meant that. And then they come back a month later and they're in a mask. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh, hey, <laughs> yeah. you too? Me too? Yeah, we're here. <laughs> this is happening. Yeah. That, that's my, those are my favorite experiences and interactions. And I'm 100% cool with my fan base coming to me and saying, I didn't like that song, or that didn't work for me, or I thought you kind of moved there when you should have gone there. I'm, I'm totally cool with hearing. It doesn't bother me. Like, I don't sit there and go like, you know, motherfuckers. <laughs> you know? Like, some people get so, like, offended. But to me, it's a communal experience. It's a process that we're all sharing. To me, writing songs, you're in this weird center-like state of a dream where you are both creating and you're perceiving as a listener simultaneously. Yes. And you end up right in the center of that sweet spot. There is nothing in the world like it. It is the ultimate puzzle. So sad hit it. song. <laughs> so sad hit song. Uh, that's basically your music industry is a soul-sucking drain on society song. It kind of is, yeah, for sure. Now, the whole point with that song was, let's take the structure of every single pop song ever written, use that structure to a T, which we did. Every chord that I play is like in every top 50 song ever written. And at the same time, make it sound happy. But really, the story is the tale of a musician who gets everything he wanted and unfortunately hangs himself in the middle of a show and becomes what social media would consider a martyr. Mm -hmm. You know? And really you know, would he have been happier just playing grunge songs in his basement? I mean, I think so. And I always look at when we write songs. When I write a song, to me, it's like Tales from the Crypt. Each song is its own episode in a season, you know? They're their own little Black Mirror episodes or their own little <laughs> slices of terror. And I feel like Sad Hit Song is very much a specific one that spoke to me just about working in the industry. Sure. And saying, okay, you know, and even with the, the vocalizations, the way it's sang, it's, it's very considered in the sense that I tried to stay to something sounds off here. This guy's kind of hurting, you know? Mm -hmm. And I try to consider that character when I'm singing or I'm giving that performance and recording it. And I'm like, you know, what, what, like, what am I feeling right now? Like, what is going through this character's head as he says these words, you know? Um, 
And to me, I feel like that's a dude who's in a lot of pain because what happens when you climb the valley, you stand at the top of it and you look around and you're like, oh, it's just a valley. You know, where does your life go? We've lost so many great performers, I think, to that exact issue. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, watching what happened with Lincoln Park and Chester, you know, really struck a chord with me. Sure. <laughs> you know, I, you know, this looks like to somebody who's independent like us and it's all, you're always struggling, right? You're always struggling for that next cool gig or just to get to the next city. Mm -hmm. You're always struggling as an independent, even when you're successful, you're struggling. And then here's this band, here's this group that are legends. They have everything they've ever wanted. Yeah, they did it. They, they climbed the mountain. They did it. They climbed the mountain. And the rest of us said either a cross between bastards or, hey, cool, right? Yeah, well done. Well done. Got up there and you self-executed. You crashed. Why? Now, I'm not sitting there presuming anything about what the man was going through because I know that that's something I can't even speculate on. Sure. You know, and it's just a sad loss. But it hit a chord in me and it made me think. And it left this idea that gestated and brewed for a long time. And it made me realize something that put my life at ease. If there's anything good that comes out of tragedy, it's when you can take that tragedy and use it constructively, you know? And out of that tragedy, the only thing that I learned about myself was I love the struggle. I love the fight. The fight is 80% of my life. And I'll bitch and moan. And I'll sit there and go, oh, you know, I got a program, 800 light shows tonight. Well, this, this, goes back to, this goes back to what we were saying throughout the interview. Your body has betrayed you. Your body has been fucking with you since you were a kid. You, your mental sharpness is everything for you. Everything. Keep staying engaged and being creative and finding new avenues and pursuits. That, that really is, that, that's what gives you life. Absolutely. That's what life is about. Mm -hmm. I right? agree. I completely Just agree. The, it's about the fight. It's about the work. It's not about the end. It's about the journey. You know, it's about getting there. So how you get there. It's what you do, who you touch. You know, why, why, why? Nobody that ever played a video game cheated, went straight to the end and was like, that it was great. <laughs> you know, I loved that. No. The you got to go boss game, by boss. You got to figure that shit out. That's it, man. And when you lose, you get better. Mm -hmm. You lose, you get better. You lose, you get better. And I, I've had these moments in my life where I've had to talk to people around me that I care about, you know, that, you know, sometimes say things that I don't understand. Like, you know, you, you knew what you wanted to do when you were young. So you've always had that path. And I'm like, you're right. I, I, that's true. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know who I want to be. Um, okay. That's fair. None of us, I think, really ever get a whole grasp on that. But, you know, we do these interviews and we talk and it's exciting to share these stories. It's exciting to talk about it and, and share your life. But what's edited out and redacted are all the times I failed. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't have any interest in editing out and redacting those things because I failed more than I succeeded every day. Every day was a failure and every three days was a victory. Mm -hmm. And I realized over time, that's how you fight wars. That's how you fight battles in your life is one bullet at a time. 
That's and it. sometimes it hits and sometimes it misses. More often it's going to miss. But you know what? Every time it misses, every time I fail, I learn what I did wrong and I become stronger. I become stronger. So I think that most people have this misconception that you're supposed to go out the gate. Britney Spears, she was 16 years old when she was at the height of her popularity, the beginning of it. And she was, you know, already that far ahead. And I'm 28 years old, or I'm 39, or I'm 47. And I can't even start because think about how far ahead she was. You don't see the 16 years of training, hard work, failing that Britney Spears went through to get right. to being 16 years old and doing that. And then really, she wasn't even that good. She, it took another 10 or 15 years as a performer to become great. You know, on top of that 16 years of training and grueling work. And then you watch the woman have a public breakdown. Very sad as a performer to watch that and go, man. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, I can't. Oh, that, that culture of watching and reveling in artistic breakdowns and I, I just, I can't. I, I, I find it, it makes my flesh crawl. Absolutely. But that's because you're here, you know, you work in this, you know, you know what goes into it, that it's heart and soul. That's what makes shows for me personally, like American Idol, Idol very difficult. Mm-hmm. Is that oh, you have a judge of people, a panel of judges telling you that what you're doing is not a real contribution. And then the rest of the world gets to laugh at you for it. What a horrible, horrible thing. No doubt about it. Horrible thing. And it, it breaks spirits. It breaks souls. Really, why can't a panel of judges say, that was great. You could do a little bit more here. Let's keep going. You know, you don't get that, but that's because they want you to laugh at them, you know, and it's, that's a, that's a tough, that's a tough market. And then watching, like I said, watching Britney Spears break down and go through what she went through. I remember being kind of like, oh man, that's weird. But then at the same time, thinking about it, I was younger going, you know, nobody sees what that woman goes through every single day. You know, it's a tough life. It's a tough business. You know, it's a very hard business. My father always used to tell me when I was younger and I first started getting into it, are you sure you want to do this? You sure? And I was like, I think I'm sure. He's like, yeah, but you don't know what it is. I was like, but, you know, it'll be fun. He's like, sure, sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. Sometimes. But it's going to be 90% hard work. Well, let's stay in the present day. Uh, Villains Never Die is the latest. Tell me about where you're at health-wise right now. Health-wise, well, <laughs> I'm doing okay. You know, I've been worse. I've been worse. Uh, you know, you take every day as it comes. You can't uh, dwell too much on the past. It's fun to relive it. It's fun to think about how you got here. Mm-hmm. But uh, every day that I can get out of bed and use my feet is a victory. That's a, that's a good day. That's the start of a good day. And, you know, I, I also become complacent at times or, you know, forget that. And then I'm like, God, man, you know, I wish I could do a little more or do this. And then I remember, no, you know, there was a time when you were paralyzed and that was it. That was your future. So be grateful for it. And I got to be honest, if it went tomorrow, I'd be very, very happy with what we've done. So, you know, I kind of just take it as a no, no lose scenario. You're just, you're working and you're going. Right now I'm working on some new stuff. Something I'm very excited about. It's a little different. Yeah, that doesn't, what, you're not going to change the band again, are you? It's over. No, <laughs> not really. But we are going to build another show, We're building a new show. And it's kind of exciting. I'm going to talk about it right here, right now. Uh, but I haven't told anybody about it. Um, through all of this craziness that is 2020, 
Uh, wait, wait, what, what are you talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Nothing happened this year. Didn't feel like 15 years. <laughs> right. It's been a long couple of years so far this year. <laughs> I know. This is the longest 10 year, one uh-huh. year. Man, like I'm like, this 2030. No. Um, I kind of started doing something I've never done before, which was just covering, 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 covering. And I just started making 80 song after 80 song after 80 song. Which I can totally hear in my head. I, I thought the Zeppelin <laughs> cover I was unique and cool, but I, that seems like a sweet spot for you. Oh, I love that stuff, man. It just, something in my mind said, go back, you know, go back to fun music, you know, uh, dark is cool. Dark is fine, but the world is plenty dark right now. Well, you know? and see the thing about that eighties music that was dark too, but yeah. it was couched in up-tempo yes. cheery music. So, so it's it, true. There was some sour hidden in the sweet. And that's what oh, made some of those songs, that's what made New Order so cool. I love it. Oh, man, I just, we just did a cover of Blue Monday the other day. There it is. And we're just taking all of these songs that we love listening to, and I'm just going, let's make it do like what we did with the Zeppelin cover. We take everything. It's, it has to sound like the original song, but it has to also sound like it could have been a villain song. So in a way- You have to make it your own. We got to make it our own. Mm-hmm. It's got to feel like yeah, that's you the, put that's it on how, a villain album. That's how you do a cover. You, you can't make it a rote recitation of the original. It has to be, no. you have to put your stink on it. I agree, man. It's, and we're stinking it up. <laughs> we're just stinky. No, that's, that's the point though, right? It's like exactly that. You got to make it your own. It's got to play to the original. But I, I'm so excited about where it's going, you know, and how it feels. And we're just having fun. And to me, that's always been the successful formula. It's just have fun. If and, you're you know, having fun, the, the audience will too. Exactly. It's a simple rule. If you start trying to think about what you should be and who you should be and who should be responding to you, you lost <laughs> right. the game. Absolutely. If you're enjoying it, it comes out in the music and people will connect. It's, it's 150%, real simple. 150%, man. 150% agree with you. You know, and, and that's in this idea, this communal experience we were talking about where you're out there and you're spreading this message. And I started to think, you know, it's time to write a new album. And I did start working on another album, another VS for Villains album proper with a different concept. Uh, and I'm excited about that one too, but I'm so early, I, I can't really say much about it. But uh, this other one, something just hit me and I was like, would I go see a show with dudes, you know, playing like wicked kind of modern-esque versions of all 80s, 70s, 90s? And the answer was like, take my money. Yeah, all all day long. I'd go see that. That would be the most fun show because everybody knows all the signs. Everybody's having a good time. You know, uh, people who are into VS for Villains can enjoy it, but then people who are not mm-hmm. and are just there to drink and have a good time and dance, they've got plenty to dance to now because we're keeping everything very copacetic. Um, yeah, that's why I said like, you know what? This year sucks. <laughs> I want to go back to a fun year, 1980. <laughs> you know? Perfect. So we're like, let's, let's bring back the 80s in the weirdest way. Yeah. So we, we started doing this. I got about nine or 10 tracks on, on cue right now. And we're just going to keep going. I'm just going to, I'm not even going to cap it. If we end up recording 50, 60 tracks, it's whatever, man. Maybe we'll just throw them all online. See, this is a Halloween show waiting to happen. It probably won't happen this year, but. I'm with you. What an opportunity. See, I've got my Adam and the Ants album ready to go for later. Like, uh-huh. Love Adam and the Ants. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And this, and you're right about that sour and the sweet, man. Cause I went back and I started listening to a lot of these tracks while trying to learn how to sing them. 
you know, like we have like Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. You're listening to that stuff and you're like, this is the filthiest song I've ever heard. <laughs> it is. <laughs> this is this is trash. I love it. Mm-hmm. You know? It is. <laughs> it's so damn fun, but it's also so dirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you do, you hear all these songs and you're like, God, Blue Monday is a pretty sad song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that guy got abused, you know, like, I don't so, you know, yeah, I feel like it's just very much up our alley. Our sound was always kind of like 80s-esque anyway, because I used oh, a lot of synthesizers, you know. In the description for this interview that I put on social media, mm-hmm. I wrote, the visual aspect of V for Villains can't be ignored. Then again, neither can the sound. From retro 80s vibes to nihilistic industrial, the band makes soundtracks to movies that haven't been conceptualized yet. I mean, I, I get that 80s vibe. Man, that I, can I keep that? You can and use that in every press kit I ever. Every press out? kit, whatever you want to. That's yeah. beautifully written. That's like you described. People ask me all the time, "What do you sound like?" I'm like, eh. <laughs> well, you can't describe yourself. Yeah, it's so true. No, I love that, man. I'm totally gonna use that because I'm like the biggest. Like, yeah, I love bands. I love pop music. Film scores. That's 99% of my catalog in library. It's what I listen to. Like, I, I, could sit, film scores. I could sit in my home office here and listen to John Carpenter film scores all day long. Oh my God, Halloween 3. Just amazing. Escape from amazing. New York, dude. That's the oh, one. Oh, I love Escape from New York. Uh-huh. Man, we just, we were, I was working on a project recently with Dwayne Buford for a, a show out in Sweden that I, I think it's on hold right now, but it's called Redshift. Very cool sounding, but they, they sent me the notes and they were like, we want like the car chase scene from Escape from New York john carpenter films i was like i was like step aside Dwayne. uh-huh this is my world <laughs> you know? that's awesome you gotta let me do that. oh i love this stuff you know but that's a hundred percent like i really like his uh, lost albums like he, he yes really good stuff man very cool and i love anything that paints a picture in your mind like uh uh the score that trent Reznor did recently with atticus ross for watchmen amazing without love a doubt that score. love that score yeah, you definitely have a cinematic, I mean, beyond the, the look of the band, you have a very cinematic music style. So it makes sense. Absolutely. Well, we try to be. Well, I really want you to get this sense when you listen to each of our songs and you dissect them. We really want you to get this sense that there is a greater story underneath. There, I, I understand why people think when you're singing a song that you're speaking your feelings to them. Because as the listener, we're kind of tricking you, right? As the listener to a song, you hear my voice. Right. So you're storytelling. Uh, right. I'm giving you an idea. But what the listener doesn't think about sometimes that's fun to play on the perception is that story may not be my story. Exactly. See? People, yeah, you, that is absolutely true. And we see that happen time and again. You're just telling a story. It's no different from Stephen King. Absolutely. Thank you. That's right. 100% true. That, that's not stuff that happened to him. He's just, yeah. this is stuff that's in his head. Exactly. He said that, that would be an amazing idea to play on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a song, I think in all of the villains catalog, there is a song that I get the most love and the most shit for. It's called Broken Doll. Because it is an extremely aggressive, really angry song. <laughs> you know, it's all about manipulating and breaking someone that you're with, putting them back together just to break them again. That's my version of it. That's what it's about to me. And I would get people ask me in Q and A's, do you feel, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the person exactly that asked me and I don't remember the question exactly, uh, but I'm paraphrasing. I was asked at a convention, a very smart question. 
do you feel like you are um, pushing an anti-feminist or an abuse glorifying agenda by singing a song that is clearly about a male breaking a female constantly for his own amusement? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a brilliant question. Dude. Number one, sure. I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> you actually listened to it. Thank you. Number two, why do you assume that it's a male that's Fair. telling this story? Because it's my voice, I'm just the narrator. Number two, whoever is sing- it, whoever, whoever story this is, that person that you're hearing their thoughts in your head, that guy or girl, that's an asshole. That's a terrible person. <laughs> you know, right. We are in the mind of a sociopath. That's it. Like No one thinks that Brett Easton Ellis lived the life of American Psycho. Thank you. All the time I'm saying that in reference, seriously. Like, I'm like, you know, why do people think that, you know, I'm running around just breaking women and like, ah, breaking women. But it, but- it goes back to what you're saying about Inda Club. <laughs> Thank you. That, that's meant to be taken literally. Absolutely. But everything else is open to interpretation. Lyric yes. writing is storytelling. <sighs> and you, you. Could, you could talk about really dark shit. You can paint extreme pictures, but it's not who you are. And for a lot of artists, telling dark stories is a form of release. As a, mu- as a music and movie consumer, I love the dark stuff. Yeah. That's my form of release. I love it. darker the better. Bring it on. Same. Same. I'm with you with that. And I agree with that. But I think that we train society to understand that the narrative of a film is not the same as the narrative of a song. Yeah, you're right. And right, a song is in the club. That's all you get. And we have kind of dumbed down music to a point in that regard, not saying that there aren't some amazing artists right now, because there are, Mm -hmm. there really are. Brilliant people that are putting brilliant work out there. But (laughs) on the whole, there's a lot of stuff that you hear, you're like, okay, I can't glean a greater meaning from this. But I will tell you this, you know, at that point you have trained an entire couple of generations to just take it at face value. Well, there's nothing underneath, it's just a song. It's just a song. It's just a song. What greater, you know, what greater knowledge am I going to glean from a song? You know, but you go back and you listen to Hurt by Nine Inch Nails or even something I can never have or even, you know, just Terrible Eye. And you're like, mm-hmm. I can glean a lot of meaning from this. You listen to Depeche Mode. There's a lot of meaning hidden in those pop songs, most of them. You know, you listen to, like we were just talking about, a lot of music in the 80s, uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Yeah, a song about a, a person tearing themselves apart mm-hmm. with struggle and complication. You know, you hear all these things and you're just like, man, I think we're, I think we're writing stupider songs. This could be true. All right, I want to start wrapping this up because it's, yes. uh, it's Friday now. Um, Time for me to hit the club. I'm going to play in the club on the you way. You and me both. Uh, so <laughs> for those who are listening and watching, uh, I do want to point out Villains Never Die is the most recent. Um, it sounds like you're keeping awfully busy Trying. during this sheltering in place time, dying to see what happens or hear what happens with the eighties cover stuff. Thank you. Can't um, wait to share it for people who want to hear more, see more. We didn't even get to the videos. I mean, your videos look like trailers for haunted houses. I love the video <laughs> stuff. you do. I love that. That's so wonderful. <laughs> we we did a cover of pink elephants on parade, the Disney Dumbo song, mm-hmm. because I'm not, I'm not making this up. I just woke up one night. I was like, pink elephants on parade. It was just in my head. 
And I was like, God, that song was terrifying. Oh my God, it was. It's terrifying. I love it. We got to do this. So, you know, I set out to cover it. And, you know, a lot of people still to this day really love that cover. They come to see the shows. I play Pink Elephants. Like, okay, sure. Because the, the goal, once again, like we said, stay true to the original, make it a villain song. Meaning dissect what you don't want, change it, put a chorus in, make it sound like a pop song. We're good to go. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, the music video was shot in an actual haunted house. <laughs> and we used the worst okay. sets in it because we wanted it to glow. We wanted it to be like trippy neon looking weird stuff. But we were playing, it, it was at the time, it was Fear City. I think it's now it's House of Torment. It was Fear City. They sent us a contract and said, we want you to play for like 38 days, uh, which would mean two or three shows a night and DJing for six hours outside of that. And at the time, we were touring conventions a lot. This was 2014. Mm -hmm. We were touring conventions at a lot. You know, my brother, who is like my partner in crime, we're sitting there together. I was just like, man, I don't know, man. I don't know if we even really need to do this. But then I thought about it. I was like, I've never done it though. I started getting excited just at the thought of, could I make it? Yeah, I get that. Days. But then something, of course, life being true to life, I got a flu a, like a week before. So I was playing sick through half of it. I broke a tooth. I had oh my God. Surgery on my face. And then the night of the Halloween show, my face was swollen because they botched the surgery. So I couldn't sing. But we had a contract that night in Chicago and we had one in Minneapolis. So my brother dressed as me and took a B band, B squad band to Minneapolis. And I stayed in Chicago and this we did like, A squad. This is yeah. like Cirque du Soleil. This is like, <laughs> like Trans-Siberian Orchestra. You've got yeah. the different, different groups playing in different cities. That's the goal, man. I'm putting it out there right now. One day, entire US tour, one night. Bands across the city, bam, done. We're doing it. It's going to happen. This is V for Vendetta. This is so cool. I love it. <laughs> All right. So did we cover where to find your, find your stuff? Oh, or? you can find us on Spotify. Our first two albums, uh, Evolve or Die and Murder in the Art, are on Spotify streaming right now. Villains Never Die, we're currently keeping it on CD until uh, I think we, were, we planned to release it earlier in the year, but due to everything going on, we decided to push it back a little bit. But it will be on Spotify at some point soon this year. Uh, currently, you can find it at our website. It's vsforvillains.com. Uh, we have a square store. Feel free to order. We ship fast. There you go. Don't forget to hit, don't forget to hit the merch booth. Hit that merch booth. Hit Come that merch booth. Uh, and there's, I mean, you did a video for said hit song. I did. And that was, you know, such an impromptu thing. It was kind of more of a lyric video. Yeah. I just said like, you know, let's just throw a camera phone up, shoot some stuff, sing to it, cut it. And I'll do all the editing myself. We'll just throw it out there. Why not? I've been saying this night after night for the past couple months. I really believe we are on the, the verge of a music video renaissance. As bands, as bands can't go out and play, this is a really easy way for them to share their art yes. in a kinetic way. Yeah. I, I just think it's, it, it's a whole world waiting to explode. I mean, man, I'm doing this, this interview with you right now on my phone. Isn't that ridiculous? That blows my mind. Uh-huh. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, not to sound like too much of an old bastard, but 15 years ago, you had to hire, you know, a five, $10,000 video crew to come out and film. You don't have to do that, man. You got a phone in your pocket. You can I'm, make any art you want. I, I'm doing a radio show from my home office. I love it. Same, same general idea, like 15, 20 years ago. Are you kidding me? I couldn't imagine doing this. No way. It's, I agree. We just did, um, because of the quarantine, 
we just did two virtual shows right here in my living room. I love it. And we were just jam-packed in this little space with all the lights and smoke. And yeah, they, they had kind of that grainy snuff film vibe. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm like, hey, mom, you want to see my video? Yeah. Like, oh my God. <laughs> but you're right, it was. It was like this weird thing that was happening. And it's like, oh, there's my uh, couch, you know? Uh-huh. And man, if there's anything like you said, and look, the whole point of this conversation, I feel, you know, coming through when things look bleak, yeah. You know, all of our contracts were canceled. We're independent performers. Right. We live and die on those contracts. We're sitting here going, what are we going to do? We just lost our revenue for the year. You know, right. You have to innovate your way through it and you no, no small task, but I, I, you know, similar situation. Here's this podcast. I did in my car until March. I, love I, I would go to restaurants, take food in the car and do the podcast in the car. Yeah. My, my choice was, do I just stop altogether? Or do I find another way to keep this going yeah. so that it, it can stay alive? And so I'm doing it like this. And it just, as a creative, you have to kind of find your way through it. Right. I agree. And I love that. And I love that. I, I feel like, and I've, I've been watching that, like <laughs> the quarantine con logo. <laughs> yeah. You, you I gotta, love that. You gotta I love that. Exactly. But that's what it said to me as a, as a viewer, just somebody on the outside that's been watching your show for a while now and really likes it. I'm just sitting there going like, wow, they're, they're going. That's, I love that. To me, that, that's impressive. That speaks. Thank you. And I, I have no idea when I can go back to doing stuff in a car. I, I, yeah. I want to be safe and I want to be respectful. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm doing this for the time being. I don't. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's been, it's been a blast, honestly. Thank and when you. you get back in that car, when you get back in that car, come get me. Yes. Cause I want coffee. Oh, we'll, we'll go for coffee. Plenty. We'll go to dark matter or something. We'll, we'll do it right. Yeah. I'm in. I'm sitting here right now going like most of these guys, they get a car. I get my living room. No. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> listen. All right. I, I want to thank, we've had people hanging on this entire time. I want to thank everyone who's been watching on Facebook Live. Uh, if you're listening, wherever you listen, thank you for that. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you for that. Uh, that right there, that's Mr. Agitator. The band is V is for Villains. Thank I'm gonna, you. I'm going to stop the Facebook Live stream. And we are out. You are, you are a wonderful and inspirational Woo! dude. Thank you, my friend. I really